0: offseason series continues with part four of eight where we talk about florida los angeles minnesota and montreal but first some big olympic-based news the nhl is going back episode 284 of the lace podcast starts right now It's time to Lace them Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Zuboff. And on uh, the six-year anniversary of the first ever Lace Em Up podcast episode, Big News, Brett's. The NHL going back to the Olympics.
1: Oh, is it official? I didn't like. That's,
0: yeah, on on the nose. It's been six years. I,
1: I, I didn't realize you went all the way back and found the exact date, which is interesting. I knew yeah, it was the
0: exact lineup date. Yeah,
1: I, I knew it was long. I didn't realize it was exactly September six. Um,
0: exactly September
1: six. Well, though I guess because this episode is going to be out tomorrow, so. It's not really right. on the date when you guys listen to this, but yes, at the time, yes, at the time we record, yeah, you're right. That, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Although I guess like back then we kind of recorded it on the day before as well, so it was probably September 5th when we actually yeah, officially started. But yes, yes, that, that is pretty cool. It's, it's weird that it's been six years. It, it feels feels crazy um yeah anyways uh the uh, the olympics yeah the uh nhl players are now coming back to the olympics of course they missed it the last time there was the winter olympics four years ago i was pretty upset about it but yeah it's it's pretty exciting that now there is um a chance that the you know that the americans uh are gonna get gold um we have a pretty good team now that's kind of why I was even more disappointed because we had a pretty good team back then too. But uh, we we should still have a pretty good team. Um, it's also my favorite time of year because because um, this is my this is the chance where all Canadians pretend they don't hate Brad Marchand. Um, and uh, although I guess you guys always love Patrice Bergeron, anyways. But um, but I particularly like when uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fans and Vancouver Canucks fans. I uh, get to uh uh pretend, quote unquote because they actually secretly like him um but uh Brian Marchand but um and of course it's sad when I have to root against those two players but um but I'll sacrifice it um and then um and I guess for me I guess vice versa I get to root for Austin Matthews so um, that should be uh an interesting time for us but Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely exciting and I, you know, it, it, it always felt so like a big question mark, um, throughout this whole time. Like I knew the CBA stuff was signed and we didn't have to worry about it, but there was nothing that said that the Olympic, they were coming back to the Olympics, so you still weren't sure. But yeah, now I, I assume that because the Winter Olympics is set for next February, um, and like. You know, I assume players are going to have to get vaccinated and there's probably going to be some quarantine uh, period as well. So it's uh, I I could I don't know what they said officially, but um, but yeah, I imagine we'll probably have to take like three weeks off or something just to get all the people um, there in China um, at a suitable time.
0: Yeah, part of the reason, part of the reason why it was such a big deal when this news came about is I was I was trying to think of the NHL players that went to the past Olympics, and then it dawned on me. More importantly, the NHL players that weren't at the past Olympics, mostly because a they weren't the established superstars they are today, or b they weren't even drafted by an NHL team yet. Right. Uh, both the Kachuk brothers weren't even drafted. Kachuk, um, the oldest one, Matthew was a 2016 draft pick. Brady went two years later, of course. Um, Kale McCarr wasn't drafted. Elias Peterson wasn't drafted. Uh, McDavid was in his second OHL season, yep. of three OHL seasons then. Uh, let's see. Awesome. Nathan McKinnon and Brad Marchand were both in the league, but neither were the established superstars, so they weren't there. Awesome. Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews, you mentioned. Yeah.
1: And Jack, Jack Eichel. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the two big American names The Hughes and, and brothers could go up and down the list too
1: Yeah, I think that's also going to be pretty exciting too Because there's a pretty good chance that both Kachuk brothers And a, yeah, maybe there's a chance that both Hughes brothers I know Jack Hughes probably is a wild card shot there But Quinn Hughes should be able to make the team But it would be pretty cool if we had both the Kachuk brothers And the Hughes brothers on at the same time Even though I guess both Kachuk's play left wing, so one of them would have to move to the right side. Although I guess uh, Matthew Kachuk plays a little bit right wing now, so so yeah, you would have to make do. But that that would be pretty cool. And then you just have like a random defenseman, um, (laughs) just who's playing with these two brother sets. Um, That would be pretty cool. But yeah, you're right. Like I hadn't even thought about that. That like we haven't seen McDavid. Matthews, Eichel, um, all in this grand uh, stage just yet. But, yeah, we'll see. Although, I guess Eichel, I guess with his uh, surgery and stuff, who knows if he'll actually make the team or not, or, like, if he'll be ready in time or not. But, um, but yeah, it would be Even Even cool. without
0: Jack Eichel, like, the U.S. Johnny probably has the best chance that we've seen in our time yep. to win the gold medal. And they've they've iced some good teams in the past, but Brett, you've mentioned on the show many times before how bummed you were in 2018 when the NHL wasn't going, because it's just like, man, yep, this, this this is shaping up to be like one of the best stages in American hockey history. Yep. And with each passing day, you kind of lose an edge, a theoretical edge, if you will, yeah. Of getting to that top tier of hockey. And I, I really think for the game of hockey, it's it's bigger that the NHL is involved because in 2018, yes, Canada still managed to put forth a valiant effort and win third place without NHL talent, but that tournament didn't have the same flair to it as nope. the best-on-best best did in even years past. Yeah, yeah, I
1: didn't even watch because there was NHL hockey on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you're right. There There was always that, like... It didn't have the same effect as it because it wasn't best on best. Um, and, you know, to that, like, yeah, uh, Eichel and Matthews were just getting going. But now I feel like we have an even better chance than we did in 2018. Because oh, sure. cause Matthews is, like, in his prime right now. Eichel, yeah, he's he's um, he's injured right now, but he's close to his prime. Uh, Quinn Hughes is one of the best defensemen in the league right now. We also have like, you know, Charlie McAvoy might make the team. Um, If (laughs) I I, I hear that there's like this vaccination thing and I know that uh, Seth Jones and Wierinski are kind of both uh, anti-vaxxers or something like that, or they're just big Trump guys, um, unfortunately, so so maybe they won't make the team, but if they do, then that also adds to it as well. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, like, I feel like we have a better chance just simply because Matthews and Eichel are um, much better than they were in 2018. And they were pretty good in 2018, too. So it's, um, so I don't know, I'm not as ashamed by it. But, yeah, I, I see your point. I was definitely bummed by it because I felt like we had a, we could have sneaked in there um, and, and did some and did some damage. But, yeah, no, it's, point I'm definitely The point excited, about so. the
0: vaccines is also very interesting, too, because what if, for whatever reason, the IOC says, okay, all athletes have to be mandatory vaccinated. Like, yep. vaccinations are mandatory. Everyone's got to get them. That could put a damp that could dampen a lot of people's dreams. Un- unfortunate, right. but, again, it's – you look at the beginning of COVID-19 and it started, this is fact, it started in China and that's where the games are being held in yep. China. Not every single part of the world is going to be on the same page of COVID-19. Others could be better off. Some could be worse off. Yep. Some could be consistently bad. And we don't know where like America and Canada is right now. Where here in Canada the cases are starting to go up even though the vaccinations um have been pretty steady and without vaccinations we here in canada we'd probably be in the middle of another lockdown right now we're not anymore but we're starting to get to the point where in the bronze of ontario for example we're starting to get to the thousand cases per day again yeah which we thought that was over and done with but uh, no, no, that it's... that is apparently not the case and now People who have been fully vaccinated are starting to get the virus again because of the Delta variants and how unpredictable it can be. So where we are in terms of the stage of COVID-19, where the vaccinations are, how many people are getting infected still, that could all play into a factor as to what happens in the next couple of months if we need mandatory vaccinations for athletes and that, that could put a ranch into the NHL's plans, and maybe for whatever reason, the NHL doesn't go. For now, the plan is to go and for yeah. the NHL players to compete, and they're very excited
1: about it. So, 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 two things on that note, uh, and then we'll go on to actual hockey here. Um, yeah. First off, um, I, I think I saw that for John Shannon was saying that, yeah, that was like a part of the agreement. Um, but that was like before the report that like, a players are gonna have to get vaccinated. Like all the every athlete got vac- was vaccinated for the Summer Olympics, and I would presume assume that the same would apply for that. Um, my second note was that, um, yeah, like like you were mentioning, it's it's, it's even worse here. I think because uh, we used to like um, at least in Massachusetts, which is one of the most vaccinated states in america um boston they uh just put back the the mask mandate um in all oh, indoor- they brought it back Eric. yeah yeah they brought it back in the indoor stuff so it's like it's still um it's still like uh uh getting pretty bad even though like it wasn't as bad as it used to be but still like you know you, you don't want to catch it Um, even though it's not as, um, severe if you're vaccinated, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely, um, we'll see how it goes and, um, hopefully, uh, it doesn't get any worse and we'll take it by year, but, um, yeah, I'm definitely excited about it and, and we'll see how that works. I'd imagine the, uh, the, this Olympics will be the same as, uh, the Olympics, uh, that just happened the summer Olympics. Um, where they're just going to have no fans, but pretty much have people play, which, which I'll be okay with. Um, you know, it's just going to be more bubble hockey basically. Uh, but, but this time it's, it's just, uh, the countries instead of the actual teams. Um, also I'm kind of excited to see David Krejci and David Pasternak on the same team again. Um, anyways, uh, so from actual hockey here, uh, just a few signings that happened to teams that um, that we already covered. Uh, Philip Hironik, uh he was an RFA when we started talking about him, but uh, he signed a three-year deal uh, worth $4.4 4 This is a not bad signing for Detroit. Uh, he was like, you know, he's their power play specialist and probably their best defenseman at this point, although I'd imagine yeah. Moritz Seider will probably be um, going to be that guy maybe in like two years or so but uh, still not, not a bad deal uh, for your your top defenseman at the moment and I, I like this deal for them.
0: For sure and, and I, I think it's important to note yeah the plus minus isn't that great but you look at his projections and it's like 30 to 40 points on a offensively stagnant Red Wings team yeah that hasn't really gone places the past couple of years and with luck they'll be on the up and up for now but for him to put up those kind of numbers given those circumstances that's huge for detroit huge for their offense huge for the power play and the, the thought is as detroit gets better so will haronic's overall stats so i'm interested to see um in three years when the deal expires where detroit is at and where his game is at
1: yeah, it, I guess you're right. It's it's kind of like they're on the up and up, but we'll see how he plays into their plans. I, I assume he'll still be a pretty big part for him. He's only 23 years old, which is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, um, very good.
1: The other one that I wanted to talk about, and we probably wouldn't get to cover anyways, was Connor Murphy. Um, he signs a four-year deal, four point four million. It's kind of a lot for for him. I that's basically why I wanted to say that. And he's twenty nine years old. Um, he's a bit more of a shutdown guy than a um, you know a purely points guy. Although I guess sometimes he does put up some points every now and then. But yeah, he's more of like a defensive defenseman um, or anything like that. But it is interesting that they signed him to this kind of deal. Uh, particularly when they signed Seth Jones and uh, Mark Andre Fleury to a pretty big deal too. Um, I should note that uh, for, it's next year. It's it's going into next year. Although I guess Seth Jones is the same same um, thing as well. But it's it's just a, a different contract next year. But yeah, it's I guess they have him locked up. But um, but yeah, we'll see.
0: And the theory is, I guess, one team Mitchell blossoms into a top four defenseman for them that'll help out guys like Connor murphy guys like seth jones and you also have caleb jones uh, in the system too um i i don't really get the contract extension and and again i'm just puzzled by chicago's overall game plan um but that was long before connor murphy was extended that goes back to the seth jones contract and yeah uh, th- there are some deals where like, you just don't know what direction they're going. And it's just like, are they sticking to the rebuild or they st- or all of a sudden they feel like they're ready to win. Um, right. and I I think maybe they could have gotten more on the trading front if they moved Connor Murphy at the deadline when he probably could have fetched a decent return. Um, but if they think their shutdown defense is better with Connor Murphy on it, then, uh, you know why not give him the money and keep him around? But I I don't know if he's that much of a game changer for them. I think he's more on Calvin DeHans level, where it's like they're not overly better, but like they're still good. Uh, I just I just think if you're Chicago moving forward, you want to do better than just be good. So that's that's my issue with with the extension, but i'm I'm sure uh I'm sure they know what they see in Connor Murphy, and um, they're confident that he's gonna make good on the deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, uh let's go to our first team here, uh which is the Florida Panthers. Um, so we're gonna start off with their additions. uh the biggest news, I guess, and it's kind of oh, I guess we mentioned this when we were talking about uh, Buffalo, but we didn't really talk about the other side of it, uh, was Sam Reinhart. Uh, he's going to be in, uh, Florida, which means if you look at the 2014 draft class, you have, uh, Aaron Eklad went first, Sam Reinhart went second. Uh, then you have this guy, um, I don't know if you've heard of him, Leon Dreisaitl going third <laughs> and then a uh, fourth overall was Sam Bennett. So, um, If you notice that trend, three of those four players are now on the Florida Panthers, um, and two of them share the same name. It's kind of cool, and there's a pretty good chance that Sam Reinhardt and Sam Bennett will be on the same line, too. Um, The interesting thing about Sam Reinhardt is that even though he was on Buffalo and that was a terrible team, he really actually got going, Um, and he had his best year this year, Uh, 40 points in 54 games, uh, 25 of those points were goals. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it seems like he was also like when Eichel was injured, he was kind of like used as a center. Um, and he kind of, uh, ascended and actually played really well and was able to contribute that way. Um, and particularly when Don Granada was there, but I can also understand why Sam Reinhardt, um, wants to go to Florida. Um, and yeah, he, he should probably be a good fit for uh, Florida and their roster now. Um, I What's going to be interesting to see is that, like, are they going to put him at center? Are they going to put him at right wing? Um, instead, I imagine uh, since Sam Bennett, who was also pretty good uh, once he got traded over to Florida, I hope he started as the center there but if you know Sam Bennett suddenly doesn't end up working out for them um he could be uh they could probably use Sam Reinhardt as the second line uh center there um or something of that nature or you know I I think there's a lot of flexibility here and we'll probably talk about another guy that they will use when we talk about our prospects pretty soon but but yeah, there's there's a it's an interesting um, mix, and I I think it could work because either way, even if they try him at center or they try him at right wing, um, he'll be a big part of their top six. He's he's for sure a top six player for them.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, Brett, one of the things that Florida has uh, with this team is options Mm -hmm. and not just options on the lineup but like flexible options that you can move around the lineup um flexible cap friendly options as well and i commend bill zito in the year or two years that he's been gm of the florida panthers he's put together a nice little team here and for whatever reason they somehow gotten better with some of the extensions that they've signed. Again, very cap friendly deals. Yep. Um, and we'll get to the importance of Huberdeau and Barkov and them staying and whatnot, and how yep. important that makes things. But let's just take a look at, real quick. Sam Reinhart, currently on Daily Faceoff, is slotted on the right wing. Verhage is on the left side. Barkov down the middle. So that's line one. Line two, you have Duclair on the right side, Huberto on the left. And Bennett playing center. So that's a pretty decent second line you've got. Then you have uh, Petreno on left wing, Owen Tippett on right wing, and Anton Liddell um, as the third line center, of course. His involvement in the Finnish military could play a role in that. Yep. So we'll see um, what happens with that. And then the last line, you have Mason Marchman as your left winger, Patrick Hornquist as your right winger, and Noel Achari down the middle. And that's interesting because if you look at Patrick Hornquist's numbers, he kind of had a career resurgence with the Panthers in his first season there. So I, that that's the other thing is, okay, how are you going to slot things around? Because there are going to be a couple of guys whose stock values are probably going to take a hit offensively that in the past year, they've established some great success with Florida. And I think some of those guys that could – take a hit would be someone like an anthony duclair or a patrick Hornquist, just because there are only so many slots that you can put them in and uh i i think if lundell leaves um the picture for the Finnish military this year then i can see probably a scenario where sam reinhardt is tested out at center and bennett maybe becomes the third line center and that would mean Hornquist is in a top six or a top nine role as a winger. But again, the, a lot of moving parts to consider.
1: There's also uh, you didn't even mention that Carter Verhage and uh, although you you did in passing, but he's uh, you know he got injured towards the middle of the year and then um, but like once like at the beginning of the year he was like a, a certified. Uh, player and legit player for them um, and kind of had mm-hmm. a breakout season for them um, so so he's he's kind of be uh, in the mix there although I believe he's uh, like a, another one of those centers right wingers mm-hmm. type. so we'll see about that as well as uh, Grigory Denisenko um, he's kind of like another one of their top prospects um, although we will talk about Anton Lindell so spoiler alert but um, but, yeah, Gregory Den- Denisenko um, is pretty good in his own right, and he's another left-winger for them. So so maybe it's like a Huberdeau on one line, and then you have Denisenko on the other line. Um, but, but, yeah, that would be um, an interesting mix for sure, and, and we'll see how that goes. Um, okay, in terms of other players uh, to talk about, Joe Thornton, um, they also got, they, they signed him, Um, He's probably more of a, um, you know, fourth line guy. He's 41 years old, which is pretty crazy, Um, you know, uh, but um, and he was, you know, he was for some reason he was like on the top line for Toronto. Um, But uh, but now, yeah, he he could he could be a little bit interesting now when he's in Florida, he'll probably be a fourth line center for them or uh, something like that. Maybe he'll be a winger we'll see. Uh, but yeah, which is a one year, seven fifty thousand. Um, so so yeah, that's not bad. Um, and then in terms of subtractions, you have uh, Chris Dreiger, Uh He was the, or Dreiger, uh, He was the Seattle pick, um, and I guess uh, you know it should be. I don't think they um, they could afford to lose him because the, uh, Spencer Knight um, looks like he's going to be the real deal. Um, he was uh what was interesting is during the playoffs they put in Bobrovsky, It didn't seem like he was able to uh you know, he, he didn't ever really get going. And then when you put in um they put in Dreger there, um, and that was a big reason why they were out of the playoffs. But then they put in Spencer Knight and he was able to keep things together and make it close for them. They ended up losing to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, Tampa. But um but yeah, it was clear that Spencer Knight was a, a pretty good pick for them. Uh, but yeah, the Florida's in kind of a, was in a tough spot because Chris Dreger should probably be a starter somewhere and he might have a chance at Seattle. But he's also like, spent. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky um, is getting paid $10 million per year for the next like five, uh, six more years. And then you have uh, Spencer Knight, who's uh, who's going to be like he's a top goalie prospect, um, in in the league. He's probably top five um, nowadays. So um, so yeah, you they kind of were um, limited in that in that sense. But um, and it's probably also tough to like lose Dreger out for free. But I don't know. I I think at the same time Spencer Knight's going to be a pretty good player for them, um, and and maybe eventually they can start to. Trade uh, Sergey Bobrovsky and and um, get at least something for him, even though it's it's a terrible contract.
0: Yeah, um, we've mentioned this in our off the air conversations, Brad. Uh, regardless of how well Sergey Bobrovsky plays, this is just me calling my shot. No idea if if there's any truth to this. I think as soon as the end of this year at the absolute latest end of the season after this coming season, I think we see a Bobrovsky buyout because over the next two years, Barkov is going to be a UFA. That's after this season. And then the next season, Jonathan Huberto, it's the same thing. Both guys are under bargain contracts and have performed very, very well for the Florida Panthers. While I like this team as a whole, the team that's been constructed by Bill Zito over the past 18 to 24 months. If they lose Barkov, that's a big loss. Yep. Big two way forward. Now he's a top 10 points guy in the NHL. You can't let that walk. You need to find a way to re-sign him and keep him on board. And, over the next couple of years, maybe you'll have guys like Forsling and Duclair on expiring contracts. Maybe you move those guys out of the way in order to keep both Barkov and Huberdeau. And while I like Huberdeau as a player, if he walks, I think they can find a way to live with that. But I don't think they can survive losing Barkov. They need to find a way to keep him on board. He gets 8 plus million easy. Maybe he takes a discount and takes like eight point five nine million dollars to stay there, but he could command a lot if he gets anywhere near the open market. So Florida needs to get out of the way, get him signed, and I think that's part of the reason why they've been able to keep around the keep these pieces around and add guys like Sam Reinhardt. Because they're trying to give Barkov enough incentive to stay why you gotta leave. Everything you need is right here. We just need to win. Let's go win. Let's get you signed. Let's go win. So that's going to be the biggest item to watch in the NHL this coming offseason is what the Panthers do with Alexander Berkov. The ideal solution is to keep him on board. That's going to cost money. If they decide to keep Huberto on board, that's going to cost even more money. Why would you keep around Sergei Bobrovsky when, like, 25, 30, 35 games, maybe more. He's on your bench. $10 million doing absolutely nothing. And Spencer Knight, on paper, could someday be better than Bobrovsky. So, that's why I say in a year or two, I think you're going to see a Bobrovsky buyout. Even if he's a top three Vesna candidate, doesn't matter. $10 million is going to become an anchor for this team. And they need to find a way to spend that.
1: The thing that I... Yeah, I, I see where you're, what you're saying. the The only thing that would make me resistant to that is the fact that, one, I think you have, I mean, although I did say that they they could probably trade him and you know retain a certain amount of money, um, so so that would be my option. But on the other hand, um, there's also like I feel like in this league you need a good backup goaltender, and um, like, particularly when there's a lot of back-to-backs, there's a lot of um, different things, and yeah, he was terrible uh, the year before when uh, he had like a sub-900 save percentage, but this year he actually wasn't that bad, of course he's not worth 10 million, but it wasn't terrible Um, so, I I don't know, I I feel like like buying him out would actually be even worse, but I do see what you're saying, uh, because because uh, Barkov's going to need a new contract and Huberto's going to need a new contract, and you can't afford to lose either one of them. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, something to consider. I I guess I don't know. We'll we'll see. <laughs>
0: and that buyout if when, when, if it if it happens is going to look real ugly on their payroll. But you yeah. know what's going to look even worse. One of Huberto or Barkov walking away because you decided to keep Bobrovsky in this $10 million cap hit for another True. three, four, five years, how many ever years it is. You need to find a way to keep this core together, and you need to make sure the chances to win are as high as they can possibly be. And I don't know how much longer they can do it with Bobrovsky's cap hit in the fold. Fair. The, the, the NHL isn't... Like, the NFL, where, like, you can work with a player to restructure their contract halfway through, that just can't
1: happen. Yeah, no, yes, I'm aware, but I I, I guess I'm just saying that, like, I don't don't know if I would like Spencer Knight being the only person, goalie in the... um, in the system at the moment i, I like I, I there's something that i would be strange to that I, I don't like that idea of not having a good backup for spencer knight especially when then he's you, like 20 years old then you trade and you look for at capable what happened backup. to yeah you i mean for a
0: capable backup that's how you solve it
1: yeah I, I guess that that would be but that's why i'm saying it's you just trade Bobrovsky um versus uh just buying him out because then you're losing him for nothing
0: but <laughs> except who's going to take on that cap hit or even a fraction of that cap hit. And at what stage is a broad, I mean, so, no, someone, he's like 33, 34, 35, and he's a capable backup, but not the legit starter anymore. I, I think, I
1: think someone would, uh, t- uh, would take the contract considering the fact that Florida, it would be assumed that Florida would retain some of that contract. Um, so, so I, 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 I like yeah. You you would still probably like retain at least fifty percent of it, um, and you know five million for what he's worth. Yeah, that that you know I think a couple of teams would would take that instead of ten million in this current contract. I I yeah, just I, can, I, I feel I like he would still argument. have some. Yeah.
0: I can see your argument for sure. I'm just saying the amount of teams that would do that that would be a very short list. Oh
1: yeah good. yeah. Of course, like it would be a a hard ask, and they would probably would probably have to like give like a, a certain um, you know uh, a, a, like a certain kind of sneaky um, add-on as well to the trade but um, but yeah I, I could I, I think he still has some value in it obviously not 10 million but I think there is definitely some value there anyways uh, <laughs> going back on track here uh, speaking of buyouts Keith Yandel, he got bought out um, he's now going to Philadelphia. Which we're going to talk about, I think, sometime next week. Um,
0: No, I think they'll just be under they'll just be under the limits, uh, so it won't be next week. The week after, they're coming up though.
1: Oh, did I? Because next next
0: week we have New Jersey, the two New York teams, and Ottawa. So Philly will be right after Ottawa.
1: You actually missed Nashville. It's pretty much all the. Okay.
0: Well, I either way. Philly is going to be yeah. a few uh, enough
1: teams away. Yeah, you're right. The, right. The, it's it's the it's two weeks. So. <laughs> yes, you're correct. <laughs> My bad. Anyways, either way, Keith Dandel is bought out, um, and they also don't have um, Ant- Anton Strahlman of uh, Vladislav Kulachanuk, um, and who's like a prospect uh, for them, mm-hmm. and because um, they traded him away. Uh, to Arizona, um, and, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's they, interesting. They
0: also lost Alex Wenberg uh, to yeah, Seattle. Yeah, Wenberg's
1: another one, too, yeah. Um,
0: but, again, they have enough guys with yeah. center experience. like
1: and we Garver just talked King about He has experience down the middle, but it so it's like, Yeah,
0: they they can they can find they can find ways to plug that hole, right?
1: Yeah, I I guess I am a little bit concerned about their defense, though. Like, yes, you're right; they do have like we just talked about when we were talking about Sam Reinhardt that they have like an overload of forwards, so they could afford to lose guys like Wenberg and and all that. But and um, oh, they still have Duclair, but um, because like you know, they (laughs) it seems like they may even need to trade even more players in order to make it work too. But, um, you know, in order to get like Anton Lundell and Denisenko um, involved, which I imagine is what they will do eventually. Oh, and Tippett's another one too. Um, But, but yeah, their defense, I mean, they, they will get Aaron Eckblad back. He was injured towards the middle of the year, but it seemed like he um finally got going, but he was a big reason why Florida was a big surprise team, quote unquote surprise. Cause he finally lived up to his expectations. Um, and, and we'll see about that. Uh, Brandon Montour is on the team too, but I don't, and Mackenzie Wegar, he's, he's kind of been like one of those underrated players and, um, he could be pretty good, um, you know, in a shutdown role there, you know, he, he also kind of, uh, took over for Aaron Eckblad's spot when he was, uh, not available. So, so we'll see. Um, but, but yeah, I guess they, you know it's not that Anton Strahlman was terrible and I guess it was to be expected that Keith Yandel was on his way out when he was healthy, scratched a lot, um, and there was that whole controversy at the beginning of the year. Um, but, but, yeah, we'll it could be a, a tough loss for them eventually. We'll see. Um, in terms of re-signings, uh, Sam Bennett, uh, he signs uh, for a four-year... Uh, 4.425 million uh, cap hit. Uh, he had like more than a point per game when once he started being on uh, Florida or he was close to it at least. Um, and um, yeah, it seemed like he was like a perfect fit for them. He kind of like lived up to what we all thought he would be when he was in the league. Yeah, he had 15 points in 10 games for Florida. Um, he did have that one suspension in the playoffs. But he didn't, um, you know, I guess that's just the playoffs. And, of course, you you don't know how he's going to do because that was only 10 games for Florida this past year. But, you know, if, if we get more of that uh, out of him, then, yeah, that, that's a pretty good uh, steal for Florida. And um, I'm excited to see him play. Um, and that, that's not a bad contract. Um, getting, I think chemistry is
0: going to put factor yeah. into what, his limitations and what his expectations are in florida because i i think in order for bennett to like really achieve his potential like he's a good player but i think he he's a player that um, needs the right guys around him so like if you put him on barkov's line i think uh, you could really see like I, I, I like fifty plus points is now the realm of possibility for Bennett if he's on Barkov's line, guaranteed. He yeah, gets at least fifty.
1: Well, the thing that's interesting is Bennett was the second line center uh, for them, and he was playing mostly with Huberto, and Huberto kind of made him better too. Um, True. I, I'm less. I, I don't know if it's Barkov. I, I feel like he's one of those players that just needs to be a center and not. Because uh, they tried him on the wing for Calgary and it just wasn't working. So I feel like he needs to be a center um, in order to, to be what he was capable of doing. Um, and in which case, I, I think he could be a good second-line center. Which is good because, like, you know, they traded away Vincent Trocek um, a year ago. Um, and they didn't really get a replacement for him. And Sam Bennett has... Has been able to live up to that expectation, um, and and I, I guess my bigger concern is is that ten games is a small sample size, and um, you know there's just a potential that he's going to go back to his usual self um, in a full regular season, but but you know at the same time, we'll we'll see. I, I doubt he's going to be a more than a point per game player, but he also um, he'll have more ice time and. Um, is probably in a better uh situation. He's the classic change of scenery type player. So um Yeah. Yeah.
0: A classic change of scenery type of player that I feel is also very versatile in yep. the sense that he can hit as well as True. rack up the shots on goal, rack up the goals scored as well. Kinda of like a Brady Kachuk in a way, like a very versatile player. Yep. Uh, that can do a bunch of different things,
1: and and like like yes, he he's probably better on this as a center, but he can also play both sides of the wing too. So you're right; he is also mm-hmm. versatile in that yeah. in that standpoint too. Um, but I do
0: think again, chemistry is important, whether yeah, it's Barkov, whether it's Zubirdo, and I think that will factor into Quinville's decisions as to who plays where.
1: True, true. Um, also, Sam Reinhardt uh, signs. Uh, once he got traded, I guess uh, he signs a three-year deal, six point five million. I mean, we just talked about Sam Reinhart, but um, but yeah, that, that's a pretty good number for them if he can live up to those expectations as well. But uh, he's definitely worth that that much and and maybe more. There's a, definitely a potential for him to be uh, undervalued even even still. So we'll see. Um, and
0: that's the other thing because um, in his I, I, I think in his final days with Buffalo. Um, for a good chunk of Eichel missing out of the rest of the regular season for the Sabres this past year due to injury. Uh, He was tried more on center, uh, Sam Reinhardt was, and played fairly well and was one of Buffalo's most consistent offensive producers. So again, the question is, is he better suited as a winger or a center? Um, And if you want to put Bennett as a center and keep Barkov as a center – then it could be a case of okay, well, we'll put Sam Reinhardt on the wing. Yep. Because I feel like you're not going to get the best offensive production of Sam Reinhardt and Sam Bennett um, when they're in, um, not not a first line or a second line role. But if they're in the top nine, if they're like on the third line, I don't think you're going to get full value out of either of those course, guys. Yeah. You need to, you need to keep them in your top. Well, six. I,
1: I think I think both are definitely top six guys. Um, I, I I think I would. I I feel like Reinhardt's a better winger than Sam Bennett is a winger. So I would imagine that they could be both on the same line, um, and, and you know maybe you have Huberto on at the left wing or something for them, mm-hmm. um, something like that. Um, okay. Um, so in terms of prospects, we're now going to talk about. Speaking of centers, uh, Anton Lundell. Um, I guess there there is a case that could be made for Denisenko. but um, but yeah, well, I, I feel like Lundell was, could be quite a steal for Florida Panthers and he could be like you know he's another finished center um, and uh, he actually had a, a pretty good year in La Liga um, and uh, for hiFK, uh, he had um, in 26 games, he had 25 points. Uh, what's, what's interesting about him was, is you know, Liga is a professional league. Uh, he had 16 goals, um, of those, you know, 25 points in those 26 games. Um, and what was interesting is, is I remember back when he was, you know, the draft class last year, there's a lot of talk about how Lindell was more of like a two way center rather than a, a goal scoring center and getting 16 goals, um, he had 16 goals this year in less games, um, but then, like, the year before that, he had 10 goals in 44 games, so, like, he upped that goal pace by a, a ton, um, and and that's the interesting part is, like, that, that was a big critique of his game is that um, he's not really a goal scorer, and, you know, it's fine if you're a playmaker and stuff, but if you, like... A center, a good center, defensive center, like already um, he you know he, that that's a pretty rare commodity. but someone who's good two way and can score goals, that's like you know a unicorn almost um, and, and pretty um, exciting for Florida. And I guess the thing is it's now that we're talking about like centers and who's gonna play center and who's gonna play right wing then you add Anton Lindell into the mix and I believe he is ready to play right now. Um, and we'll get into his like military thing, uh, pretty soon. But, um, but yeah, the fact that he, um, like they have this guy, um, in the mix, it's, it's just, uh, like they have an embarrassment of riches at this center, uh, slot. Cause, uh, cause he's, he's probably going to be a pretty good uh, center for them.
0: Yeah, a very good center that has a lot of hype to him and probably their most hyped prospect uh, at the time we're recording this. Um, just taking a look at, um, in terms of his size, six uh, foot 185 pounds, only 19 years old, so a lot of room to grow. Um, under contract in his entry level. Uh, as you mentioned, some very good numbers in a league amongst men. I think that's important to emphasize around a point per game, but, like, 16 goals in 26 games. Like, man, like, that's very, very good. Um, And at the under 20 at the World Juniors, by far and away, one of Finland's top players with six goals in seven games and adding another four assists for 10 points. And then he also played at the World Championships, and he got another seven points in 10 games for Finland. So we're talking about a guy that's not even 20, that's played at the World Juniors, a couple of times already and had an important role for finland in those tournaments and then the world championships and now playing in the league amongst men for the past what two or three years now pretty yeah. impressive stuff and a guy that hasn't even close to hasn't even come close to scratching the surface in his professional hockey career and i'm interested to see more than anything how he's going to fit into the two-way game Because let's face it, we know offensively he's going to bring it. When he's at full stride, he's going to be a top six player, one of Florida's very dangerous towns to watch. I'm just wondering where his defensive ability is going to stack up. And if it stacks up like I think most people expect it to, imagine a two-headed monster where you have Barkov centering one line and then Lindell centering the second line. You've got like two mammoth two-way forwards, that can win face-offs. That can score points up well. Florida is going to be very deadly to watch if yep. this guy blossoms like they think he will.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then, uh, although Steve alluded to this uh, when he started talking about Florida, uh, Land- Lundell is actually going to take some, doing some military service during this summer. So, like right now. Uh, in Finland, all physically able males must serve at least six months in the military by the age of 29. Um, I'm not actually sure, like, I, this was the first I heard of it, but uh, apparently all the NHL Finnish hockey players have done the same type of thing. Um, I was also then shown a picture of Tuka Rask uh, during his time uh, doing military service and stuff. It's not, like, uncommon, but, um, and it's probably not, like, a uh, a huge uh, deal if you're, you know, not a professional athlete. But I could see why, uh, because, you know, hockey is such a, like, a professional sport where you have to uh, pretty much be training all year um, or, or you're in the season for three-fourths of the year. You know, you kind of have to do it during the summer. So I imagine that's where most of the finished players get it done for. But, um, but yeah, so... So there is probably a chance that maybe we'll see him in January. Um, but I, I think he is definitely ready now, particularly considering that he was killing the league for the last t- two years in a professional hockey league, in, uh, fin- in the Finnish hockey league. So I think he's pretty much re- ready now. I'm sure he'll probably play a couple games in the AHL. But, but yeah, I, I could see him um, making some noise maybe in January. Or something like that, or or maybe in December. Did I lose you, Steve? Where did you go, Steve? No, there just
0: wasn't <laughs> anything else
1: I wanted to add. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, I thought um, I I didn't realize that, but yes. Uh, so so we'll see, but uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely exciting, and we'll see. Um, it does seem like they, the Florida has an embarrassment of riches. I think eventually they'll probably have to make some moves. Maybe they trade Duclair, or maybe you know, maybe they makes some some trades some somewhere down the line. But um, but yeah, yeah and and be.
0: I think if you look at the terms that they signed, uh, while we're talking about um, the short term game, yep, you notice the three year deal for. Um, Gustav Forsling, you notice the three-year deal for Anthony Duclair, you notice the four-year deal that Berhage got, um, which doesn't start this year, it starts the year after this year. Um, There's a lot of short-term there. And I think they probably planned it out with, okay, we want to see how Sam Reinhardt does and what Sam Bennett does and Anthony Duclair does. And we think they're all going to be key contributors on this Florida team. However... You've got these guys like Gregory Denisenko and Owen Tippett, and now Anton Lindell. We want to see where these guys are in two to three years, because mm-hmm. if they're key contributors, at some point we're going to have to walk away from some very talented players yeah. in order to keep the future of this team intact and the chance to win at the highest possible level. Yep. That's why I think they were wise to go short-term with those guys and not too long-term, because they know if Anton Liddell is going to be this good in two to three years, he could be a full-time NHLer hitting full stride right away. And they're going to be reaping the wards faster than people expect. So now you're at the point of, okay, we got to move on from some guys. So that's where you could see the like, again, Sam Bennett or Anthony Duclair on the trading block. Not probably not uh, because they didn't perform well enough, it's just because they have a lot of freaking good talent coming up the pipeline. They're gonna be playing a lot of NHL games for them in theory.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. I I guess like I'm I'm just assuming that Lundell, Denisenko, and Tippett are all gonna be uh pretty good, but but yeah, you you have a good point too. It's like I guess maybe they're just gonna wait and see. Maybe they won't need to make a trade just now, uh but like there is a potential where Lindell could be a top six player and Dennis Ango could be a top six player Tippett could be a top six player so but maybe like all three of those guys should be like on the third line and just see how how that that clicks and stuff and yeah they'll take it by year I guess um another first round pick all three of those guys were first round picks this is this is gonna be our wild card topic again usually wild cards are usually um picks that aren't in the first round and guys you haven't really heard about but I you know I did some research and um there isn't too many like uh diamonds in the rough for Florida or potential diamonds in the rough for Florida and uh, also I, I like this was like a 24th overall pick but like I was looking more into it and I started to realize like this guy could be a, a pretty good player for them sometime, maybe like five years from now or uh, four years from now. So I, I consider uh, this guy is Mackie Samoskevich. Um, he, uh, he played for Chicago Steel, um, which is a pretty good team. He had 37 points in 36 uh, games. Uh, what's interesting is, is that Chicago was a, a stacked team back then. Uh, to the point where, even though he had a, more than a point per game, uh, Chicago the Chicago Steel uh, had four players that were better than him uh, this season um, in terms of points. So, so it, which is uh, pretty crazy too. Um, what's funnier is he's about to join the University of Michigan, which is even more stacked than what the Chicago Steel were. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's he's going to. I guess he's always going to be in a stacked team, and, and like we were just mentioning with Florida, it's like even if he is going to be in the league maybe five years from now, four years from now, um, he's going to be in a pretty stacked team for Florida. But that's not a bad thing too. So you always want to have good players around you um, and, and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, it's it's definitely in a um, he's definitely someone to watch out for, uh, maybe sometime down the line.
0: Yeah, from the from the uh, area of the United States you known as Newton, Connecticut. Newtown. Um, not sure how that common is for uh, NHL prospects. No. How well, big that pipeline is, but
1: yeah, I, I so it's Newtown. Um, I, if for all the Americans. It's no, no, it's fine. Uh, for all those Americans <laughs> that may not, they, they probably know, but uh, a couple. Uh, Few years ago, it was probably 2013, uh, there was a massive school shooting where like a bunch of 11th. Uh, first graders oh, got murdered, right. and that's I the remember. same. That's the same town, Sandy Hook.
0: Oh wow! Um,
1: okay. So, so that's the same place. But yeah, <laughs> it was. Oh,
0: that turned grim. I'm sure. Sh- no, I no, no But I
1: mean, like in, in a way, it's kind of like, like for us Americans, and particularly New Englanders, it's like, oh, I know Newtown just because, for, for unfortunate reasons. But it, it could be a cool thing though if if he does make it to the league, because it's like. You know, he's New Town Zone. It's like, it's not just this grim thing. It's like someone, mm-hmm. you know, a successful story instead of like a. Something tragedy. to take,
0: something definitely to take pride in. Yep. Uh, for sure. We talked about guys uh, with depth at center and right wing. According to Elite Prospects, this guy's labeled as a natural center. Um, yep. No left wing, no right wing, just straight up center. Uh, a 5'11. That's a running joke because I hear. Yep. that people laugh at someone that's 5'11". It's like you're either 5'10 or 6'12", but you're not 5'11". Yep.
1: Um,
0: so that's interesting. Uh, 190 pounds as well. Um, according to what Cat Friendly says, or uh, Lee Prospect says, rather, um, he's a guy that uh, can mix pass receptions and highly creative dangles around defenders. So a guy that's very versatile in terms of offensive deceptiveness. Um and he's, he's got some quick wrists as well, uh, which, which helps with that deceptiveness. He can manage space well. That's good. That's something that scouts look for in a player. He is constantly looking at where his teammates are on the ice, where his opponents are on the ice. And he can use that mental map of the ice to kind of game plan every single maneuver that he makes. Sometimes even one or two plays ahead of the competition. So you really like those guys that not only have the quick skills but the high intellect and that often translates into guys that are first round picks um the the one thing that i'm sure a lot of people are concerned of and the other thing is they went to shaxie mary's prep which is highly regarded but it seems that when people look at the ushl they're just like you know take these numbers with a grain of salt right um However, what I see is a guy that in his, third, in his second full season of USHL action was an assistant captain, uh, got the same goal total as he did the year before in 11 fewer games, and put up three more points than his previous years, which was, again, in 11 fewer games. And again, now he's going to the University of Michigan, so you kind of wonder where the dynamic is there. Yep. But I think if he gets a, a top-six ice, ice time with the Wolverines there and puts up some great numbers, all of a sudden he could be more than just a wild card for Florida. He could be maybe a top-five prospect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He is listed as a center on elite prospects, but everywhere else I've looked, it seems like he's going to be more of a right-winger. Um, oh, which, which okay, is so the right winger
0: yeah. center death
1: continues then yeah yeah exactly I mean either way it's it's an interesting dilemma but yeah I I think I, I think they project him more as a right winger than a center so <laughs> I do want to correct you on that that standpoint but yeah it's it's interesting wow. too because Shadex Saint Mary um, is another like program that everyone talks about or at least Pierre McGuire does when he was on the air. So, it's the
0: Crosby effect. Yes, yeah,
1: it's, it's where Crosby went, Jonathan Tays went. Uh, I think a few others that uh, didn't. Like,
0: McKinnon go there too, or he thought about it. I,
1: I I'm not sure if he officially did, but I can check when you, when you start to talk. Uh, but uh, I think Perise, maybe I think there was that that one. But anyways, it's uh, so that's another like he's going from like a stack Chicago, like a sh- sh- stack St Mary school that's highly well-regarded uh chicago steel is highly well-regarded to michigan which is highly well-regarded um and florida's uh should be uh pretty highly well-regarded as well um in terms of their forward group so um yeah it's uh it's he's kind of uh he's always been on like super teams it seems um all right so now we're going to la uh los angeles kings they didn't really make too many moves but they do have, like, an interesting move that I I, I don't think – we haven't even talked about this, uh, Philip Deneau uh, signing, because there was a bunch of other stuff that happened um, that on that day when it happened. But um, we haven't really talked about this officially. I don't really get this deal. Um, I know Philip Deneau is um, a great defensive forward, um, Like, I think speaking of Nathan McKinnon, uh, he even says that he's the toughest player to play against and all that stuff. So there is, you know, he's a a very good player, but uh, he is also like, you know, he's never had a career high uh, level of points um, of like, I think his career high is like 40 points or something like that.
0: Um, Yeah, remember when I said uh, about Alex Barkov getting paid? Yep. Philip Deneau, on his new deal is getting paid 400k less than Barkov yep. per year,
1: but so and
0: yeah. doesn't even come close to putting up the numbers that Barkov.
1: Has. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and yes, he's he's great defensively. Uh, you know, he he'll probably win a sulky one of these years, but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, he ha- he's making 5.5 million for six years. I think that, like you know, I guess that's not too bad considering that he is more of a defensive center than than anything else. But the fact that it's like the L.A. Kings, um, which is more of what I have a concern about. So we're, we're about to talk... Well, first off, they have Anse Kopitar for three more years. Um, they have Quentin Byfield, who's a, a natural center, who's going to be in the mix. They also have Alex Turcott, who, uh, who played pretty well in Ontario as well. Um, Tyler Madden's another one that we're going to talk about. They're, they're pretty... Like, if you thought Florida was stacked at center... Uh, L.A. is pretty stacked in center as well. So it's like just the fact that you have, like, you have Quinn and Byfield, you have Alex Turcott in the mix already. Why are you uh, paying Philip Deneau already for this? I mean, I guess you have to, like, you know, Byfield and Turcotte are probably not ready just yet. But at the same time, like, like you drafted them pretty high <laughs> um, when they were drafted. It, it doesn't make sense to me to, like, just leave them in the ahl because you're just wasting away their talent um and it's not like the you know, like la kings are like gonna be a contender anytime soon um but like the way you would do that to be a contender is by developing Quinn and byfield and alex Turcott. um and you know kopitar did have a little bit of a bounce back season but uh he, again he's 34 years old um, he's making $10 million. Of course, he's their captain, so it's not like um, it's – it's. Uh, and, you know, he has, he's, he's had a pretty great career so far. But that, that, that point of it, of just, like, you're blocking guys like Turcotte and Byfield doesn't make too much sense to me.
0: I think their five-head strat is probably move at least two of those guys to defense and they win the North.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the She's other thing like, too. Oh, we yeah, we can have
0: all these forwards. Yes, we can. We can turn them into
1: yeah. the defense. No, no, that, that, that's a good point too. It's just like they they have other needs. Like their defense is terrible too. It's just uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess they did get Brand Clark this year, but yeah, like they uh, uh, Drew Doughty. Like um, you know, he's he's probably one of their worst. Uh, he's he's not like. He's he's okay, but he's not he's not, not worth he 11 wants. million uh for I think he yeah, that's a crazy contract. I'm just looking here.
0: Yeah, it's around the crazy crazy level contract uh, yeah. as Eric Carlson and Sam. He
1: still has five he he still has six more years left on his <laughs> 11 million year contract. I and mean, that's yep. a no so move it was above. crazy. What what the yeah. hell? So so yeah, anyways, it's it's yeah, I don't I don't really get the Philip Deneau like five point five million isn't too bad, I'll admit, but like having him for five more year five years doesn't make too much sense to me, particularly when it's not even their biggest hole in their in their roster.
0: Yeah, like I said, Philip Deneau is gonna get money and probably the contract was gonna be a bit of an overpay. Yep. I thought it would have gone to a market where it made sense for him to like be there. And you're right. Los Angeles is just like, yeah, you need centers now, but like in a couple of years, you won't, you'll have too many. (laughs) So where are you going to fit everybody? That's the thing. Um, They also have taking a look at uh, some of their cap situations. um, They have um, some dead cap, uh, one more year of retained Jeff Carter salary. They also have two more years of the Dion Faneuf buyout. And they also have, um, well, countless years of the terminated Mike Richards penalty. So, right. um, there's, there's a bit of money there. Um, but yeah, off- offensively speaking, they got a sneaky good offense, honestly, with the yeah. additions of like Victor Arvidsson. Uh, the, the other thing is guys like Dustin Brown, um, are going to be aging. I don't know the upside of Andreas Athanasiou, which they kept around for another year. Yep. Uh, same with the upside of guys like Adrian Kempe and Brendan Lemieux. They have a lot of guys that I think are pretty decent forwards, but there are a lot of guys in their system that probably have more upside than some of the guys playing on the roster right now. So maybe they experiment with some of those prospects that they have and they try them on the wings. Yeah, um, And I think that's maybe how they get around that. And that's why they're okay with bringing in someone like Philip denell because theoretically they could just turn some of those prospects into wingers and they get the best of both worlds. But regardless of who's on Philip Dinell's line, again, I don't really know in his prime years what he can put up offensively. I think the most you could get is like 50 to 55 points a year. That would be a good average for Deneau. Um And maybe it would then be kind of worth the money you invest in him if his defensive abilities continue to shine um but yeah when when i heard that sign he was just like really yeah not not really sure i I can get my head around that right because it's it's not like to know is a bad hockey player, it's just like how much better does he make the LA Kings? Like yeah. even with all their prospects.
1: Yeah, and like I get that they're still rebuilding, but that's why it makes no sense to do it. Cause like maybe they they're thinking that they're going to need him when when their window starts to open. But like, you know, you don't do it for a guy whose like position you're pretty deep in. Um, already, so that, that part doesn't make sense to me, and the fact that like Deneau is more of a defensive forward compared to like Byfield and Turcotte, who I just mentioned. So, um, so yeah, that part doesn't make too much sense to me. But we'll we'll see. Maybe they're like they were persuaded by the fact that the Habs made a big run, and a part of that reason was because Deneau was like was able to lock down guys like Connor McDavid. And guys like, um, um, uh, I, I guess uh, you know Mark Stone as well. Um, and uh, I was going to say Mark Striffler, but I, I don't think Shryfley, uh really counts. But I, I guess uh, he did have a pretty good playoffs to his credit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so there's that. Um, there's also Victor Arvidsson, but we've already talked about that trade so we're not going to mention it again. Um, I did mention while I was looking at their friendly page, um, they somehow signed Alex Edler for one year, $3.5 million. I didn't realize that. Um, so that's kind of like a sneaky move for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he could be a, a good veteran presence for them um, eventually, yeah. and, and we'll see. But, um, but yeah, that's going to be one of those things when you're watching the Kings and you're like, Wait, Edler's on the Kings? What? <laughs> when did this yeah, he happen? he
0: played for them? What? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Only oh,
0: 25 games, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a
1: member of the Kings. <laughs> right. like, yeah, it's I it's I really a classic example of that where you're just like, wait, how did this happen? Um, how
0: did I forget that? Like, right. <laughs> It's like Tom Barrasso playing for the Hurricanes for one season. Yep. Or the St. Louis Blues. It's just like, yeah, it happened. Does anyone remember? Yep. You're just like you just Google his image and you're just like wait he played for that team what
1: yeah dude um,
0: mind blowing stuff man
1: <laughs> right 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 um, in terms of of subtractions uh, there weren't too many Curtis McDermott was the Seattle pick but I don't think they're going to lose too much sleep over that uh, loss. <laughs> Um
0: yeah, especially considering McDermott was like swapped to another team like right, a few days too. after that. Yeah, yeah. So he's not even on the kraken anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um and like they drafted Brant Clark like t- uh, two days later. So it's like eventually they're they're not they're not even gonna miss him. Yeah.
0: And they also have guys yeah. like L Grant and Tobias Bjornfoot in yeah. the yeah. system as well. Cale Clegg was also uh, signed. Yeah. Yeah, Kale Clegg, Sean Dersey as well.
1: Yep. Um, in terms of re-signings, uh, Andreas Athanasiu, uh, I think Steve alluded to that, but, uh, $2.7 million for one more year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I feel like Athanasiu was an exciting young player for Detroit all those years back, but I don't know, now it, it doesn't seem like he's, um, he's as good as we thought he was going to be, I'm, I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen, but... I guess it, it, it doesn't, like, I feel like for a rebuilding team like the Kings, it's um, it's kind of, like, good to have these kind of, like, project players and, and see how he does for one more year. Um,
0: yeah, and, and, like, the Rays see it, maybe there wasn't a market for Athens see with at the trade deadline, so they're just like, you know what, if we can keep him for another year and he doesn't work out, we can always try again and see what we can yep. get for him on the open market. Maybe he does better this time around. Yep. Like if, if, if you can get him for a decent bargain price and then maybe get something for him later, if you're not going anyplace that, at that particular time, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. So I think that's a sneaky good move by the Kings ownership group and the front office there, who have already stockpiled some very good prospects already. Yep. Last thing they need is a couple more, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so uh so even though the Kings aren't doing aren't like the best team. I don't think they're like they may surprise because uh, they do play in the um, the Pacific, um, and I I did predict that one of the California's team was going to make the playoffs this year, but um, but it's uh, but their prospect pool is one to get excited for, which is pretty, pretty. Um, exciting if you're a Kings fan because uh, they used to have a terrible system but now it's one of the best if not the best um so the you know what's
0: very funny is that we say that and they only had four picks in the past draft true and they're still loaded
1: yeah yeah it's it's uh, that's true too but like they have like you know it was tough to even predict the top prospects because yes quentin byfield is going to be a really really good player the guy they drafted last year um, and, you know, he, he's, like, expected to have, like, 100 points um, in the NHL once he gets going. But, um, but like, if, if Quinn and Byfield wasn't in there, they're still pretty stacked. Uh, they have Alex Turcotte, uh, Arthur Kaliev, uh, Kupari, Tyler Madden, who we're about to get into, Fijimo, uh, this guy, Kachov, who they signed yeah. a while ago. Um, he was in the KHL. Um, he could be, like, a low-key... Uh, signing for them um good good signing for them i guess he would kind of count as a wild card pick for them um akil thomas like kale clay they just got brant clark so it's like uh, a lot of those guys you could consider as a top prospect and they you know if (laughs) um i'm just thinking about my own team if they if any of those guys i just mentioned were on the bruins they'd probably be a top prospect uh for for the bruins so uh, yeah, they have loads and loads of prospects, and they should be you know back to you know uh, their playoff contending uh, days know in, um, in a few in a few years we'll see maybe not this year but potentially next year. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, Quentin Byfield um, is our top prospect here. Um, he uh, because of COVID reasons the OHL was uh, canceled. Um, but the good news was, is that he was able to go to the world juniors, um, and he had seven points in seven games for Canada. Um, pretty good there. Um, and then he was, um, he probably would have taken another year in the OHL if it wasn't canceled, but I guess we got to see what he was like in the AHL because he played a little bit for the Ontario Reign, um, where he had 20 points in 32 games. Uh, 12 assists and 8 goals um, and uh, yeah, so that's a little bit interesting and then when he gets called up to the NHL um, there was only 6 uh, games there but he had 1 assist in 6 games but I, I assume he'll eventually be called up um, eventually um, according to a bunch of scouts he's kind of uh, you know, he's a big boy he's 6'4 and 220 which is uh, pretty uh physical and, and all that stuff but um but yeah he's he's kind of like a i guess from this scouting report he kind of carries the puck like a power running back um, where he's he very he hits a lot um, and he's he's just all over the ice all the time um so he, he could be a, eventually be a very exciting player and it's um you know even for the AHL you know, he's a 19-year-old player um, in the AHL, getting 20 points in 32 games is it's pretty good. So um, I imagine he'll probably go back to the OHL, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the uh, NHL even this year.
0: Yeah, the thing is... When you look at his AHL numbers, you're just like, why would he go back to the OHL? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think he's too good for that league. Yeah, and yeah. If, you, if you wanted to get him back to the OHL so he can win a scoring title, I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure, go nuts. Yeah. But what's best for his development, I think, is to continue his development in the AHL where he got eight goals and 20 points in 32 games. Not bad for a debut season. His final year in the OHL, he had 82 points in 45 games. 32 of those were goals. And in his first OHL season, he had 29 goals in 64 games, near a point-per-game pace in that season. So I think in terms of the OHL, he's already accomplished a lot. And he's also played in six NHL games. In the World Juniors, he's been to two of those, won a gold with Canada in 2020, and then finished uh, with a 2nd place medal in 2021. Uh, in the second place finish with seven points in seven games, did better. I think he was more accustomed to that tournament at that point in time. So that's part of the reason why his offensive numbers statistically were better. Um, and you alluded to his size spread. Not too many six foot four, two 220 pounds guys can do what he can do with his explosive skating, with his extremely gifted hands. A guy that always wants to contribute offensively always wants the puck on his stick blade and he can be so deceptive with his wide array of rush patterns and that can also help him defensively too so you can start to understand why he was a top three pick in the draft that he was in a draft that i don't know if you heard but this incredibly gifted talent named alexis Lafrenier went first overall yep so he would be first overall in a lot of other drafts so the fact that he's with the Kings organization and there's going to be a wide variety of prospects that he's likely going to be on the same team with, like you mentioned, Alex Turcott and Arthur Galeev, who's a pure goal scorer. Yeah. Like, you can, you can only start to imagine offensively what he can do. Like, I think 60 to 70 points is... In, in terms of a good consistency rate, I definitely think he can hit that as an NHL player when he's in his prime years and even exceed that.
1: Yeah. For, for the record, I guess you're right. He's probably not going back to the OHL, uh, but I, I could see him potentially going to the AHL for maybe another year. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I guess I should clarify that, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely um, yeah you're right. When he's eventually going to be in the league, I think he's going to be a very special player. Um, and there was a reason why they drafted him second overall. When even at the time they were kind of loaded at the center uh, position. So um, so yeah, it, it's it's definitely like you know there was a reason why like he was the best player available. And in any other draft, um, he probably would be the first overall pick. So. Um, So yeah, it's definitely someone to get excited about and and all that stuff. Um,
0: By the way, just want to throw these guys out there um, because a lot of the prospects that I mentioned played in the AHL last year, and here's how they did. Kaliev had 14 goals and 31 points in 40 games. Akil Thomas had 11 goals and 26 points in 40 games. Kapari had 23 and 32. Turcotte had 21 and 32. And Byfield was 5th in points. With twenty and thirty-two, right. Sean Dersey, a defenseman, had twenty-six. Or, er, sorry, had twenty points in thirty-nine games. So he was tied with Byfield for fifth in scoring. And you can start to see how stacked they are in terms of prospects. Yeah. So you keep all of those guys, or like even all but like one or two of them in the AHL for another season, watch them blossom. The Ontario Reign could be an AHL threat this coming season for sure.
1: Yeah, I was about to. I was going to mention uh, quickly Alex Turcotte because I think he's another guy who should be mentioned. But you, you already mentioned him. But yeah, you're right. It's it's in a way. It's like you kind of get a sense of what the Kings are going to look like in in the future because that's pretty much all their all their players um, in mm-hmm. the future. So so yeah, that's definitely uh, something to consider. Um, do you know how Ontario did last year? Uh, perchance because I'm about to oh wait, I'm
0: looking here. I think they're one of the better AHL teams. The AHL was weird because there was odd oh, division yeah, alignments teams. and there was even I right, think right. three AHL teams that like uh backed out of the season before right, it right, started. Right. That's right. So you had teams that were carrying the yeah. basically the talent pool of like two NHL teams. Like right. Syracuse, I think. Was in charge of Tampa Bay, but also Florida.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's correct. No. I, I forgot about that. So, uh, you're right, <laughs> that's, that, that's correct. I I forgot Providence, Hartford, and Bridgeport were just a division, and that's the only. Yeah. those were the only. It two, was just
0: those three. Yeah. Those are the
1: only. <laughs> like they only played each other, if I remember correctly. So yeah, so um, they just beat yeah.
0: up on each other cause Okay, it, so yeah.
1: I'm looking here. Uh, so <laughs> and there was eight play uh, eight teams in the Pacific. Uh, uh-huh. Ontario actually ended up. Uh, being uh, seven going 17 and uh, 19 I guess, and four. Um, so, um, and I would put them seventh in the AHL, so, or in their division, but yeah, so something it should said.
0: also be noted that I think the playoff system was weird. Yeah. And by weird, I mean, like, only one division was playing and everyone yeah. else was just like, yeah, our season's done. <laughs> right. There's there's nothing else here. It's just these eight teams. And it was the division that the Ontario Reign were in. So right. they, they were playing for something, I guess. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it was very weird. So for wild cards, uh, I'm, I guess I'm going to go with Tyler Madden. Usually wild cards are players that like I feel like should get some mention because they had a pretty good season. Whereas for Tyler Madden, it's kind of the opposite because he was actually involved with the Tyler Toffoli trade, um, uh, bringing uh, you know when he went to Vancouver uh, season before. Um, I personally have seen him play. I think he had a hat trick when I watched him play once. Um, and he, you know, he was very good at Northeastern. He had 37 points in 27 games. And I thought that would, um, that would mean that he would be a pretty good pro. I know he's, he's a five, another 5'11 player. Um, but, uh, but I thought like, okay, he, he'll probably be a, a legitimate player in the league. Maybe not like a Quentin Byfield level, of course, but, but someone, you know, who, uh, who would be pretty good. But then it turns out that, uh, he played a little bit in for the Ontario Reign. Uh, five points in fourteen games, so, um, so that's not as enticing as uh, as we all thought he, he would be there. But I, I wanted to mention him because uh, because of this, like there's an overload of centers. If you even forget about Philip Deneau, um he is listed as a center, but uh, but then there's Byfield in the mix, Turcots in the mix as well, so. That would leave Tyler Madden as you know probably a third line center down the line if he continues to be a center. However, um, I I could see him being moved at the as a winger um, and just get him used to that point because um, if he was as good as he was in college, um, then there's a chance that he you know he he could make it. um, He deserves to make it in like as a winger um but maybe not as a center of course that's a little bit riskier to not make him um into his natural position but um i don't really see another option where he'll be a um a w- uh, like a center
0: yeah tyler madden you mentioned is very interesting in terms of what he was at Northeastern University, what he is in the Ontario Reign. And I think, again, a lot of it has to do with the amount of quality talent that uh, the Ontario Reign have on their squad. And I think if one or two spaces open up and the right situation presents itself, you can see a guy like Tyler Mann really explode offensively. I'm just looking at the second season he had with Northeastern, and he had 19 goals in 27 games, finished with 37 points. So very very dynamic score for northeastern university and not nearly as big as byfield he is again the five eleven thing but weighs according to elite prospects only 152 pounds yeah that's pretty light so i think building up his size and frame is going to be huge for madden going forward if he wants to make it to the nhl and maybe since then uh it's updated and he's put on some muscle there and it's, it's also tough to really get ahead of the game when, uh, you know, you're not playing hockey as frequently. Um, but when you look at the traits that he possesses, the high skills, the hockey sense, the great active mobility that he has, um, and, like, his wall time passes in the neutral zone, he can do it at top speed as well. Very efficient worker. And I, I think... Quick de- those those little intangibles, that those quick decision-making abilities, um, the way he possesses the puck, uh, his quick release on his shot, his quick hands, all of those things, when you put it together, you could be looking at an NHL player. The question is, what's his upside? I can see him being a second-line player, but... I also think there's a possibility that he could be a good, consistent third-line guy for the Kings, and again, that all depends on what happens with the other prospects they have.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it will definitely be interesting to see how, um, how like the the depth chart will look um, in a few years, and like who's going to play at, uh, you know, play on which lines and all that stuff. But there, we, because they have so many good prospects, there's going to be, unfortunately, like a time when there's going to be an odd man out. And uh, I guess there's a potential that Tyler Madden is going to be that player. Um, and, and we'll see if, if that happens. But that's why he's a wild card, because we're not entirely sure where he's going to play once he's in the NHL um, and becomes a player there, um, if, if that ever happens or not. Um which I guess is, is also up in the air. Um, all right, let's go to Minnesota. That has another actually pretty rich uh, prospect pool. Um, but they, uh, but we're going to get to that second, uh, you know, pretty soon. But first, we're going to talk about their pro team uh, to start. Uh, they didn't really add too much. I guess it's mostly because they have to worry about they signed uh, Joel eriksson Ek. They had to sign Kevin Fiala, and of course they have to. They still have to sign uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Um, so that was a big reason why their off season wasn't as, um, you know, they didn't sign a ton of guys, they didn't make too many trades, but um, but it's still, you know, they're one of the more exciting teams in the league because of um, they were kind of the breakout team this year, and now a lot of that had to do with K- Kirill Kaprizov and. He was good right away. Um, so in terms of additions, uh, Dmitry Kulikov, what um, has uh, he signed a two-year deal uh, worth two point two five million per year. Um, of course, they don't have Ryan Suter, which we're about to get into. Um, Alex Golagoski is also added to them, uh, five million uh, for one year. There, um, the. Uh, so, so, yeah, those are two decent depth moves. Of course, it's going to be hard to replace a guy like Ryan Suter. Um, but um, then again, it's like, you know, Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodine, uh, Matt, Matt Dumba um, are, you know, still pretty good players and could overcome those, those lapses. But then again, it's like Ryan Suter's also was also a pretty good player for them. Uh, for for a long time there. So it's it's not going to be an easy transition, I don't think. But but those aren't terrible moves, I guess, um, so to speak. But, you know, these are two older guys.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how Minnesota kind of spread around their cap. Um, at the time of recording this, Kirill Kaprizov hasn't been signed. Yep. Apparently they're making progress.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that but... in, a, in a couple of... Minutes. right
0: well and we'll talk about that soon and we'll talk about it more when it becomes official because of course i don't think the khl thing is happening no. but anyways we'll get to that the reason i'm mentioning that is because before we even got to this point where they're negotiating with Kaprizov, they buy out zafari they buy out ryan Suter, and then they start using their cap on these guys where it's just like um why are you why are you giving these guys priority over the Kaprizov extension and it, it could be because they're trying to get their business done now so that they know how much they have left to sign Kaprizov. whereas it, it becomes a matter of okay well how much how much money do we got to spend now like what can we afford to spend it on so part of the signings that they signed kulikov was one of them the other was alec Golagoski uh, Alex Goligoski, I said Alec. One year, 5000000 million. Don't get the $5 million. I get the one year. I get that he is a Minnesota product, so that's great. Good local boy. Good veteran presence. Maybe fills out the need for Ryan Suter. Not sure if he's worth $5 million at all. They get a bargain contract for Jordy Bent, that's good. They get a bargain contract for John Merrill, that's good. They get a bargain contract for Freddie Godreau. I like Freddie Gaudreau, good role player in Nashville and Pittsburgh. I don't mind that at all. But I, <laughs> I don't get the Kulikov and the Golagoski at all there. Um,
1: on, on that note, I will say that they still have twelve million in cap space. So um, they so, do. So so even like it's not gonna like I can understand it if they had like let's say like six million in cap space. But uh, $12 million should get it done uh, in order to, to sign Kaprizov, and they would probably have some left to change, even if it's like a $10 million deal or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so overall, I think for the most part, Minnesota stacks up pretty well, that being said, against members of their division. And I think um, overall the decisions... Um, that they have to make still are going to be very key. Obviously, we mentioned the Joel Erickson X stuff and how important he he is to the team. That's good uh, to keep in mind. There's also Jordan Greenway to decide on as well. Capo Kakinen beyond this year, where he fits into the fray, especially with some of the other goaltending prospects that we have, which we'll talk about later. If I had to grade Minnesota's offseason, it would probably be – even with Kaprizov signed, I would say it would be a. I would say a B, not a solid B, but a B.
1: Yeah, I guess it well, it's in. I don't want to grade them because Kaprizov still hasn't been signed yet, so I'm gonna wait till I hear from what. Uh, no, I'm saying
0: even if Kaprizov gets signed, like
1: oh, you I don't really B.
0: think they've improved drastically. I then see. again, nor nor do I really know if their plan was to. Improve. Improve, to be honest that could be True. for a future offseason well i, I, I think that i think getting away from the Suter and Parise contracts was a big
1: thing right right and yeah i, I so carson Susi goes to seattle and then Parise and Suter are subtractions cuz they both bought them out i th- i believe i'm not sure if it's officially yet but i believe Parise is going to be uh, on the islanders but it's not official yet but they're st- they're working it out but either way he's not going to be in minnesota um, and uh, but, like, even still, like, I, as I mentioned, to start this team, um, they're, you know, they had to sign Fiala, they had to sign Eriksenek, they have to sign Kaprizov. I think that was a big motivation for them, and, you know, that, that just entails that they can't sign too many free agents, they can't subtract too many guys, or they have to subtract a, a bunch of guys uh, in order, because you can't lose yeah you can't lose Eric Ek after his breakout season and you definitely can't lose uh, Kaprizov so so I, I think that was just their top priority so um so yeah in terms of like i, I feel like that was probably their bigger priority or according to bill Garen, was just that they had to get those three guys signed and i it looks it looks like Kaprizov will about is about to be signed but we we'll, we'll see um, we talked about the Erickson-Eck deal when it was signed, uh, but we haven't really talked about the Kevin Fiala uh, contract. Um, he's uh, he's met For one year, he has a $5.1 million uh, deal, uh, which isn't too bad. Um, I was expecting him to maybe go a little bit longer term, uh, but at the same time, he's going to be um, an RFA next year too. Somehow he's 25. I didn't even realize that. That's still pretty young, but, um, but yeah, he's one of their better players and, um, we're about to get into their prospect pool because it's definitely exciting, but, uh, yeah, getting Kevin Fiala at that contract is, is a pretty good deal, um, for them and that's something that they, they couldn't afford to, uh, lose him, um, at the expense of Kaprizov, um, because he's, like, clearly their second best player.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure.
1: Um, and then as for Kaprizov. Um, I didn't know if you had anything left to talk about, uh, for Fiala, but, uh, in terms of, uh, Kaprizov, uh, there, I forget if we even mentioned this on the show or not, but there were reports, uh, early on in the summer that Kaprizov, uh, was getting offered from Siska Mos- Moscow, which is a KHL team. Um, and he was like being offered like quite a huge contract um and the deadline for that was september 1st uh that passed and uh kaprizov didn't sign that contract um so so good news for minnesota Uh, bad news though is that he's still not signed um however according to um i'm blinking on the minnesota beat writer for the athletic michael russo michael russo yeah according to michael russo it's it's pretty like they're 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 in negotiations right now so we might even like you know what would be funny is kaprizov gets signed like tonight and it like (laughs) this episode comes out tomorrow or something because that would be a typical thing for us um but um but yeah i i think there was like it was like nine nine million was the annual average value but i think there's like a discrepancy on if it's, like, five years or if it's eight years. Um, but, um, but, yeah, either way, it's, like, you know, Kaprizov um, is, is definitely, like, even though he's only played in the league for one year, it's very clear that, you know, he was a big reason why the Minnesota Wilds were an exciting team to watch and were a playoff contender uh, you can build your team around this guy. Um, I mean, I guess there is concern that he's, you know, of, like, you know, just the fact that it is one year, um, and there's a chance that, you know, he won't be able to, you know, uh, live up to that uh, rookie season again, which is definitely possible because, you know, the book is more out on him than it used to be, and he's playing more, like, he won't be playing the California teams uh for a majority of the games, but at the same time, you know he was he was definitely electrifying, and there was a reason why he won the Calder. He was like a wire to wire guy there. Like at the start of the season, he was really good. At the end of the season, he was really good. There was, I mean, Jason Robinson had comp- like you know gave him some competition towards the end there, but I think we all knew that Kaprizov was going to win. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there is concern a little bit, but not too much. Um, I I wouldn't be shocked if he lives up to that contract and more.
0: See, the thing is, and here's the difference between Fiala and Kaprizov, is that Fiala is a very good player. I don't know what his ceiling is yet. And I think he's worth what Minnesota is getting, but they're giving him one year to prove that he can do it outside of the current um, field of teams because they were in by far the weakest division last year. That being said, they're going to be in a favorable division this year. That's still going to be loaded with a lot of question marks, but they're still going to be playing teams like St. Louis and Colorado and all of the heavyweights in the West. And they're still going to have Vegas to contend with, um, But, and and I guess, of course, you also have the Metro Division teams that they're going to go up against, too. But I think Kaprizov is more of a sure thing than Fiala is in terms of skill, in terms of his dynamic ability to change the look of the offense. Like, we've said it countless times before. Kirill Kaprizov changed how the Minnesota offense operates. It changed the way we look at the Minnesota Wild today. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's a big discussion of, okay, what term and what dollar sign are we going to give Kaprizov? Because it's definitely going to be bigger than Fiala in terms of term and in terms of dollars. So we we know darn well how dynamically good Kirill Kaprizov is and is going to be. So now it's just a matter of figuring that out and figuring what else they can do. And I think some of the very talented prospects that Minnesota has in their system – is going to have to fit the dynamic that Kirill Kaprizov provides. Because you can't really go out there and find a dynamic playmaker um, that can complement Kaprizov, or at least take some of the load off of Kaprizov. Like, for example, Jack Eichel. Like, the price of Jack Eichel is too darn high for some teams, and for Minnesota, it's no exception. So now you got to look from within and say, okay, can we find one of those guys there? And I've heard Marco Rossi's name get thrown around as well, and there's also Matthew Boldy, which we'll get to later. They have a lot of prospects that they can slot in, and eventually in a couple of years' time can really joe with Kaprizov and add, again, another dynamic fourth to Minnesota's offense.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. I guess it's um... – yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. I, like, I, 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 guess my concern only for Kaprizov is, yeah, he dominated the KHL for a couple of years, but I would like to see him dominate a few more seasons in the NHL before I, I see um, him like, you know, give him like a huge long term contract that he's probably expected to get um, and will get, but. Um, so that at the
0: same time he's at the same time he's done more in one season than Nikita Gusev did. yeah and bad him did. No, so, I,
1: I'm not saying that that's not impressive, but I, I, I still don't know if I like you know like Gusev had like a decent uh, like let's take Gusev for example, um, or even like Dadanov, for example. like you know he was Dadanov had a pretty good first season. But then, um, but then we found out that he was very line-dependent on, on different players. And, um, yeah, I, I understand that Kaprizov is more talented than dadanov and Gusev. But, um, but there is still some concern because it's like, like – there's always concern because it's, it's still one year. <laughs> you don't know. Um, so uh, I, 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 I understand why Minnesota will pay him a lot of money and he's probably worth it, and I'm definitely probably wrong. But I, I could see them being in a world where Kaprizov isn't as good as he was this past year.
0: At the same time, though, not too many of those Nikita Gusev types had Victor Rask as their center. True, true. And Kaprizov made do and continued to excel his game.
1: Totally fair. And
0: continued to change the offense. So that's, Totally fair. I'm just, that, not to say, again, that goes against your point, I, it just adds to the positivity of maybe this time it'll be different. Totally
1: fair. In a game, I
0: can like, break the trend, you know.
1: Totally fair. I I guess it's like when you're making nine million. Like I know, like I just think of like all the other players that are making nine million. Like yeah, you know, you're
0: expected to produce at that yeah, level. Yeah, yeah
1: and, and, totally. and that that's more my concern. It's like yes, he's probably still going to be a very good player, but will he be able to? Like if he plays the same way he played uh, this past year. Um, then yes, he's definitely worth 9 million, but that's the question is like, you know, it's going to be an 82 game season. He's not going to be playing against California, the California teams in Arizona for most of the year. Um, so will he like, you know, like what's he going to do when he has to play against tougher opposition? Um, and that, that's going to be the key here. I don't think we can expect him to be as good, um, as he was last year, but if he can be, then yeah, I agree with you. It's, and, he's definitely and, worth and that much.
0: There's also the is okay, if you get him to like a two-year deal or a three-year deal,
1: because
0: yeah. he's 24, 20, uh, around 23, 25 years old right now. Then you're creeping closer and closer to unrestricted free agency. And the whole rhetoric with Minnesota is they can't really seem to keep the team together and like, continue to add to the list of All-Stars there. Imagine if they signed Kaprizov to a three-year deal, and he is that good, but then you have, I'm not saying the Rangers because I don't think they could afford it with all the names they already have, but a team that could offer a lot more opportunity in terms of marketing, promotions, other opportunities, salary. A team like that comes along and says, come play for us. Yep, and Grills gonna be like, yeah, okay, I'll play. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then he's gone from Minnesota. Right, so right. that that's why I don't think they're gonna get to a two-year or three-year deal because they don't want that to
1: happen. Right, right. But that that's uh, supposedly the riff. Uh, Kaprizov wants a short year, uh, short short yeah. term, but Minnesota wants longer. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's funny we we spent like five minutes on that maybe maybe more. And, it, like, the deal hasn't even happened yet, so uh, it'll, be, it'll be funny um, if it's, like, completely off of what we, what we just said. Um, in terms of prospects, uh, we did kind of mention his name before, Marco Rossi. Uh, he was, uh, he kind of, like, dropped a little bit um, in the draft a bit, um, uh, he, but even still, he was a top-ten pick. He was ninth overall in 2020. Uh, what's interesting is, is that like, I probably could have gone with someone like Jesper Wallstead. Um, Matthew Boldy another good option. Um, there's also, uh, they're not as stacked as LA is, but they're pretty, they're pretty stacked as well. Um, Murat Kuznodinov, who we're about to talk about, um, he's been pretty good. As well as Kalen Addison, who should be in the mix this year as well. But don't just, forget
0: that goalie talent they got as well that uh, Edmonton probably could have used.
1: Well, I mentioned I mentioned Walls, Wallsted, but yes, uh, you must have missed that. Um, and
0: they also <laughs> they also have Hunter Jones. I don't yeah. know if you mentioned. Oh, too, oh, I, I I
1: I, meant, I mentioned Wallsted. Yes. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Wallsted, before I get into Marco Rossi, um, he. Uh, uh, in the preseason game uh, for Liga I guess that starts this year or where he's oh no it's the SHL is where he's going to play for this year uh, they're doing preseason stuff and Wallstead has played a little bit in it of course it's preseason and you know small sample size but Walstead already is putting up crazy numbers insane numbers already mm-hmm. he went 4 uh, 40 he has a 0.5 gaA and a save percentage of 978. Um, so, so uh, of course it's preseason, and all that stuff. But that if 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 he if can be consistent, um, yeah, Minnesota may have gotten the steal of the draft um, at twentieth overall. Um, but we're going to actually, and you
0: know, and you know, who was also drafted around that time. I don't think it was the exact same pick, but Andre Vasilevsky in his draft year went around that
1: time. Yeah.
0: And, uh, he's only one of the best in his position right now. Right. Right.
1: Of course. Not Um, not to
0: put out of pressure that Wallstead will be Vasilevsky good, but just saying there are goalies that have been drafted around that spot and turned out very well.
1: Yeah. So, um, of all the top prospects we're going to talk about, um, of the 32 uh, teams now, this one is kind of an interesting one, uh, simply because Marco Rossi tested positive for COVID and uh, he was seriously affected by it. Um, And that, so there is some like unpredictability about him. Uh, He should be back and ready. Apparently he started skiing again and, and all that stuff. But, uh, there is also a chance that like he may never be the same. And so there, there's always that like, I guess there is a, a wild card factor to it uh, because he's already dealing with COVID and he was serious, seriously affected by it. Uh, so he only played because of that, he only played one game in the Swiss League um, where he had one assist in one game. Uh, he did play for the world Juniors um, uh, but he played for a team he was an Austrian. Uh, so he was the only good uh, player on the team. Um, and even still, like, I think that's where he got COVID. Uh, so he had zero points in those four games uh, that uh, for Team Austria. But um, it's kind of hard to judge him based off the fact that that's where he got COVID. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, apparently he played a little bit this year. Uh, or this season, for Team Austria for the Olympic Games qualifiers, where he had one assist in three games. Uh, apparently, according to Elite Prospects, he also played a couple of international games for Austria, where he had three points in five games um, internationally. So, so maybe we'll see. But, um, but I, I think we, uh, and Steve got to see him a lot uh, uh, when uh, he played for Ottawa 67s. Oh, I got to see him plenty, Brad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where he had 120 points in 56 games, uh, he was the first international uh, player to uh, get the point scoring title that year, um, and that puts him um, that that means that I would consider him a top prospect. Um, like as good as Matthew Boldy is probably going to be, as good as like Adam Beckman is going to be, Kovanov, um it's going to be, I, I think the fact that, um, that you put up, uh, like, more than two points per game in the OHL, um, yeah, I, I, signs are, is that he's probably gonna be pretty good, um, so, so, uh, so I, and I, like, I think I saw that, like, you know, I keep on looking at, like, Calder races and stuff, and I keep on seeing that Marco Rossi is going to, um, be, um, like you know, he's he's like a dark horse candidate to be a Calder because we could potentially see him in Minnesota. Um, and Steve alluded to this too. Is like Victor Rask is a topped uh, sixth center somehow. Um, so so he's definitely uh, capable of that. Um, I do have two concerns. One, which I've already mentioned, is the fact that he had COVID. Uh, we don't really know the long term effects of what COVID can do to your body, especially for athletes. So. Um, Hopefully he can uh, overcome it, but you never really know. Um, and this is like new territory for everyone. So, um, so it'll be an interesting test case to see how he does and, um, and all that stuff. But I guess it's like a what-if situation. It's like if he never got COVID, how would he do and, and all that stuff. But there is a concern. The other concern is is that he's 5'9". Um, and I guess we're going to talk about another top prospect in the next segment. Um, who's also 5'9, but the you know, uh, just being a center, uh, like, I'm not sure if, like, you know, just from like a face off standpoint, um, you know, you, you don't have as long of arms and stuff, so you have the disadvantage from that standpoint. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, he was, he was very good in the OHL for like the two seasons, um, and, uh, you know, at center, so it's it's not that he's he's not capable, but um, it will be interesting to see uh, if how good he can be at that size.
0: So, taking a look at the numbers that he's put up since his fifty-six game OHL season that was abruptly cut short due to COVID, he has played in a combined thirteen games. He played one game with the ZSC Lions, Zurich Lions, and got one assist in that one game. Then as captain of Austria's world junior team, he had zero points in four games. Yep. But to be fair, Austria was getting cream left and right in that division.
1: As I mentioned. Um, yes.
0: So there, that's kind of understandable. And he was just battling through COVID around that time, so he wasn't necessarily at full strength. I don't buy the fact that Rossi was at full strength then. Then you look at the Olympic Games qualifying that Austria took part in. He got one assist in three games. And then internationally for Austria this year so far, he has a goal to assist for three points in five games. So that's basically all the action that Marco Rossi has taken part in since the 2019-2020 OHL season was paused due to COVID and eventually suspended altogether, and the rest of the season wasn't played out so very limited ice time from 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 marco rossi to really own his stats i hope that doesn't set back his development it honestly could the fact that he's five foot nine is already a disadvantage but and we've talked about this before in our draft previews or draft recaps spread that he might be five foot nine but marco rossi for his size is very very strong and prior to getting covid he was building up a fair amount of muscle in the off season. He right. was even get he was getting even more stronger then. So, if he can get around this COVID thing and continue to perform at the level that he was at, I'm very confident that Rossi is going to be a consistent top six forward for the Minnesota Wild. Because that's, in my opinion, heading into uh, the days after the draft and him getting selected by Minnesota, I'm very confident that's what he can become for this team. And I'm, I'm not going to waver in that until I see him play in North America, uh, in the next level of North America. He's already played two OHL seasons, so that was good. He was able to adjust very yep. easily in those two OHL seasons. And like you said, not nearly as stacked as the LA Kings, but there are some pretty good prospects that I think – are going to be playing for the Iowa Wilds uh, this year. You add Marco Rossi to that group, and that could be a team on the rise in the AHL. So yep. I'm interested to see overall where Marco Rossi plays, if he's ready to go, if he's at full strength, if COVID's behind him. And uh, and I think uh, the next five to six months will tell us a lot as to where his game's at.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we, we're more or less saying the same thing. <laughs> you kind of... Reiterated the same stats that I just said. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 that that is true when we were talking about him in our draft recap that yes, he is small, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's, he's not a good player. And of course, he's a good player because, um, um, all that stuff because he's, you know, he, he dominated the OHL for the last two seasons there. But, um, but yeah, I I guess there is still some concerns because the OHL, as good as a league it is, it's it's not the NHL. So we'll see. But um, but yeah, I, I'm hoping that he, do, he does well, but um, those are kind of the things that stand out in my mind. Um, as for wild card, we're go- actually going to the same draft. Uh, it was a third-round pick. Uh, Marat Kuznadinov um, is the guy there. He's another 5'9 player. He's a center as well. Um, and he's 19 years old, um, but I kept on seeing him on Twitter uh, because he, uh, the KHL actually just started, um, and uh, he, he plays for SKA St. Petersburg. Uh, so last year, he only had two assists in 12 games for the KHL. Um, he, he played more of his games in the MHL, which is like the minor leagues in the Russia, uh, Russia uh, where he had 14 points in 10 games, um, which is pretty good. Um, But then he played for the KHL this year. Uh, He already has more points than... He doubled his amount already um, in the KHL. Um, He has four points in three games. That's more than a point per game. Of course, it's only three games, so a small sample size. But if he keeps this up, um, then, yeah, we could maybe see another... Karel Kaprizov type situation where, you know, maybe he plays a little bit more in Scott St. Petersburg for a couple more years. And then he goes over back to Minnesota, um, and, and, and starts to kill it there. But uh, I guess there is a concern just because of the fact that he's five, nine and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, Minnesota is looking for all the centers that they need because, um, um, as good as Victor Rask was this year, um, I'm not sure if that's going to continue. Um, it's pretty much just Joel Eriksson um, on on their on their team. So so yeah, we'll continue to see how it goes. But um, but yeah, at the moment, Marat Kuznodinov should be a guy that you should watch out for, and that's why he's a wild card prospect for the Minnesota Wild
0: a guy that just turned 19 years old. And as you mentioned, Brett plays center, as you mentioned, five foot nine. uh, And like Marco Rossi takes a lot of pride in the two way game. Marco Rossi is just as hungry to beat you on the defensive side of the game as he is on the offensive side of the game. And this guy plays full 200 feet of the ice surface. And he's got one of the best motors in the 2020 draft class, according to elite prospects. So that's awesome to see um is back check is relentless his ability to track the plays as they happen at full speed while he's skating at full speed can be very impressive at times and just a great skater overall so that's one thing that really jumps out at me when i look at his elite prospects page and yes his his stats in the khl are definitely impressive um, I'm interested to see where they are at the end of the season because we've seen sometimes guys get off to hot starts and then they kind of dip off a little bit. And their their average stats are like, I don't know, 0.75 points per game, which is still pretty good, but not nearly as mind-boggling as point like point per game. So if he can keep up that point per game pace throughout the, the course of the season, imagine a Minnesota team with a two-way center in Joel erickson with a dynamic two-way center in Marco Rossi, and a solid two-way center in Marat Kuznetitov on the third line. Yep. Like, one, two, three. That's looking very, very dangerous for Minnesota. In a division that, yes, we said a lot of question marks, but I would say still better out of the two Western Conference divisions. And there's still a lot of room for improvement for this Minnesota team. And this is... One of the guys I would say offensively is lower down the jet chart compared to someone like I don't know Damien Giroux or Adam Beckman. Not just Marco Rossi and Matthew Boldy. There are some other names that um, have some offensive potential there. But in terms of two way offensive potential, this guy's this guy's up there, and they got him as an early second round pick in his draft year. That's pretty impressive.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting to see how he does, but so far four points in three games in the KHL as a 19 year old, it's very impressive. Mm -hmm. So, um, we'll see if that continues. Um, only
0: 165 pounds.
1: Yeah, that, that too. That's crazy. Um, all right. So now we're going to Montreal. Uh, they actually, so we would be remiss, uh, because, uh, to, to not talk about this, but, uh, (laughs) but. I, I guess we kind of lucked out because Montreal was the biggest news story this week. Uh, they decided to not match uh, the offer sheet for Jesperi, Kotkin, niemi It's probably the right move. Uh, they get a compensation of a first round pick and a third round pick from Carolina. Um, and then promptly, like maybe like two minutes later, they go to trade one of those, that first round pick. Uh, to Montreal and they get or sorry to Arizona and they get um and they also get a, uh, they send a second round pick in twenty twenty four um and they get Christian Tvorak back to the Arizona Coyotes. Um so so yeah that's a a, a pretty interesting move. Uh, the first round pick is a conditional pick. Uh the Uh, Arizona Coyotes get the better of of Montreal or Carolina's 2022 first round pick. But if either or both are top 10 picks, Montreal will instead transfer to Arizona the worst of the 2022 uh, first round pick. So I guess if both Montreal and Carolina uh, are a top 10 pick, then Arizona would eventually get... um, a uh, a top ten like you know the worst of those two if it's like if they're both in the top ten somehow, but uh, but yeah I guess I guess it's like it's like the Pierre Dorian rule <laughs> where, where no one wants to uh, get like potentially lose out on on their list in case Carolina is terrible and or uh, Montreal is terrible so um, uh,
0: yes the revolutionary genius mind appeared. pierre Dorian. of course yeah
1: yeah it, just changing
0: just changing the game one trade at a time that's how
1: you know you've made it if there's a rule made out um <laughs>
0: yeah. if there's
1: a rule yeah. made a
0: rule to make and <laughs> save them from themselves basically yes yes
1: <laughs> um but yeah anyways this is like um so i guess we'll start off with the kotkan niemi because we talked about that a little bit beforehand or last week um but like, that one's a little bit interesting because, yeah, he's probably not worth $6.1 per year uh, for even one year uh, just from the amount he's made. He he could be, still be a, a pretty good player, but not a $6.1 million year. So I, I can understand why they decided to uh, get rid of him. However, it's like, since we just talked about Philip Deneau, he's out of the the mix there. Um. Then you have, um, so then you just have Nick Suzuki pretty much as your center, so you're kind of screwed that way. Um, Christian Dvorak, he, you know, he had a pretty good season for a, a bad team in uh, Arizona, but I don't know if I would trade that much to get him, like a first round pick and a second round pick. Uh, for the record. Christian Dvorak had 31 points in 56 games. I can understand why Montreal is desperate to get a center, though. So, so there is like he will get a lot of opportunity and stuff in Montreal. It's just I don't know if like he's a first round and a a second round uh, type value pick. So, uh, I, I do like it for Arizona because we won't talk about Arizona or Carolina again. Um, but I do like it for Arizona. Uh, Carolina is just a mess, but like they already have Vincent Trocheck, Jordan Stahl, and Sebastian Ajo at center. Um, so it's like, I don't know what they're going to do with Kotkaniemi. It's not like they really need him. Maybe they move him to a wing or something like that. I think that was the rumor is that they're going to move him to left wing. Um, but, but yeah, it's, like, it, it is strange that, like, Carolina got their revenge, but, um, but I don't know if it makes them better.
0: So, let's start with the Carolina side of things, because that's sure. quicker. So, they get Miami for one year at $6.1 $35. <laughs> Emphasis on the $35 and yep. $20 signing bonus. Um... Elliot Friedman made this interesting point. And he said, There's nothing stopping Carolina from saying, okay, at the end of this one year deal, we want to keep you here, but maybe at a lesser AAV. Right. And if Cockney and me is down with that idea, if those conversations did in fact happen, then I think that's probably how they get around it. Because right now, Cockney is nowhere close. Nowhere close to even $6 million per year, let alone $6.1 million and $35. Like, he hasn't even put up 40 points in an in NHL season. And I get the playoff stats. They're great. But consistently, they haven't been there to warrant that kind of money. So they know Cockney is not worth $6.1 million. This was literally just a case of, you offer at Aho, now we get payback. Mm-hmm. And Montreal was wise not to match this offer sheet because even if cockney Emmy has good amount of success in carolina and they're able to get some long-term value out of him you don't know the long-term value of yes very cockney Emmy as of right now let's say the montreal canadians don't even think cockney is worth like four plus million per year and they're strapped they're they're strapped with this kind of situation. They, they need to make a qualifying offer to Kakanyemi if he's about to become a restricted free agent again at the end of this deal. Let's say, uh, again, under the impression they matched. That qualifying offer needs to be at least $6 million. So at that point, you go, okay, we don't really know if we should keep this guy. Let's trade him. What are the odds they get in the first and the third for Kakanyemi in a year's time? I doubt they get a first and a third. Right. This way, they're guaranteed a first and a third. They can do whatever they want with those picks, which in this case, they're either going to give a first to Arizona for their original pick or for Carolinas, whichever is higher, and a second-round pick in 2024. And they give those picks to Arizona for a guy with four years left at around $4.5 million per year. You got some term. You got actually. Friendly money and Christian Devorak.
1: Actually, and you one of remember. those one of those picks is actually their own. Uh, the 2024 second round pick is not Carolina's. Right. But oh, I, I, I thought um, just, I, right I, right I thought you were saying that they were both Carolinas.
0: No. Got it. First round pick. The first round pick is. Whichever is higher, right. their original or Carolina's. Yep. And the second in 2024 is separate, so they still have the third from the Cockinami Right. Right.
1: Okay. But I. I, gave I up, okay. I, I must have missed that. I'm sorry.
0: But they gave up a. They either way they gave up a second round pick, which is even higher value. So they right, gave up right, a first, right. not even not a first and a third. They gave up a first and a second. But a
1: but that, that second run. is in 2024.
0: Yeah. So a ways away. Yeah. Yeah. But that first in 2022, you look at the amount of talent that's available, that's that's talent that I'm sure Montreal could use, and Arizona definitely needs. So Arizona definitely gets what they want there. There have been times where Christian Dvorak has shown offensive chemistry, particularly with Nick Schmaltz in Arizona. I don't think he showed it consistently enough to be considered a number one center. So again... You don't really have a legit number one center you can point to today and say, right now, that's our number one center, and we are comfortable with that as our number one center.
1: Well, on that note, yeah. I, I, I do think that Nick Suzuki is a number one center, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's like, if you're going to trade a first and a second to, to get Christian Dvorak, who is like a second line center, then...
0: Yeah, that's a pretty hefty price. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly.
0: Right. Now, the other thing is I heard Elliott Freeman talk about the possibility of Jack Eichel becoming a Montreal Canadian, right. which I don't buy for a second because mm-hmm. they would probably have to give up at least Nick Suzuki. Yep. If Kokaniemi was going to be a part of that package, well, they don't have Kokaniemi now. So now their prospect is likely going to be one of three players or maybe at least one of three players. Maybe it's two. Rowanoff, Suzuki, and Caulfield. Right. And I doubt Montreal wants to part with any of those guys. Yep. So now you're wondering, okay, if the Montreal Canadiens really wanted to trade for Jack Eichel, which, again, I don't think it's a good idea, but if they wanted to, could they? And I don't think they can now. So no. they must be very confident in the fact that Suzuki and Dvorak are going to be their one-two punch down the middle, and they're going to say, yeah, okay, we'll roll with that. So right now, according to Daily Faceoff, the lines go like this. Line one, Foley on the left, Caulfield on the right, Suzuki down the middle. I like that line. I think that line can be very potent and dangerous. Second line, assuming Druin is healthy, on the left side, Gallagher on the right, Dvorak down the middle. Third line, you got Mike Hoffman on the left, Josh Anderson on the right, Jake Evans as the third-line center. And then you have Cedric Paquette centering a fourth line with Lekinen as the left winger, Joel Armia as the right winger. Again, similar to Montreal, I think on paper could be sneaky good offensively, but I, I again, I still don't know what this team is truly capable of. And now they're going into a division that's even more stacked than the Canadian division. Because like the Canadian division, of course, there were some there are some decent teams that they had to go up against. Like Winnipeg is a good team. Toronto is a good team. Edmonton is loaded with talent. Calgary s- still has some forwards that are tough to contain, and that was a coin toss at times whenever they went up against the Flames last year. But now, they're going to go against teams like Tampa Bay, Teams like Toronto still, Boston still in the mix, Florida's improved. There's a lot that they have to contend with. Yep. And if they can't be a top three team, then they go up against teams in the wild card, like I mentioned, after they got knocked out. They're going to have to go up against the Metro division teams, which surprise, surprise, that division is still stacked. And do they have what it takes to get back into the playoff picture? With all of the potential injuries they might have to deal with, with the pieces that they have lost, I don't really know if it's possible right now. And it wouldn't shock me in two to three years if this team's in rebuild mode. Yep. I I don't really, I don't really know what to expect from the Montreal Canadiens. And if more than anything, the the one thing that bothers me with the Kakanami stuff is just how badly it was mismanaged. Like they played him. A lot in the first season but then all of a sudden you see him getting scratched in big games and in those big situations they didn't really trust him until their season was on the line this year when the Leafs were up three to one and it it was a thing that they mismanaged with Nick Suzuki at times and Cole Caulfield at times and Alex Romanov at times they leaned on their veterans too much and that was a bit more of of Montreal's uh, mishandling and the reality is more than anything. Yes, Barry is the second, third round, or not third round, third overall pick that they've had and mismanaged.
1: in less that. than
0: ten years. Yep, Calhouniemi being the first. But this guy they took ahead of Quinn Hughes and Brady Kachuk, and now he gets offer sheet for six point one million, and that's it. I I. I get the fact that they didn't offer sheet, and that was probably the best decision for them. But how it got to this point was partly of how they mismanaged the Kakaniemi situation. If Kakaniemi was very, very confident in how things were going with the Montreal Canadiens and his role on the Montreal Canadiens, would he have signed this offer sheet with the Carolina Hurricanes? No. I don't think he would have.
1: In def- I can't believe I'm defending the Montreal Canadiens here. But, I will. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, you, you are correct that Montreal mismanaged Kotka Niemi, But, you kind of are negating what you already said. He's not a 6.1 million player um, in, uh, uh, for one year, or whatever the contract is. So, it's yeah, like, year, you, yeah. you, you can't say it's like one year or the other. I, do, I don't think, like, any team would, I mean, other than Carolina would do that type of thing where it's a clear overpay of the thing. And yes, you do have a point. And I was going to point that out too, is that like he still had like 20 points in 56 games. um, And that was all in uh, a time period, like his uh, average time on ice last year was 14 minutes and 48 seconds. Um, So 20 points in 56 games with like roughly 14 minutes of ice time. Isn't that bad? Um, and just the fact that like they could even get, a, another team to offer sheet him, um, kind of like proves that they kind of developed him rightly because, uh, they managed to get something for him. Um, and, and yeah, we'll see how he does in Carolina, but like, I, it's, it's different than like the Galchenyuk stuff is, yeah, they eventually did trade him, but, um, but it's, it's it's definitely different because you're not, um, because they got, you know, <laughs> like, they got two first round, uh, they got a first round pick, um, and they got Christian Dvorak. They got, like, a, a lot of stuff for him. So, like, in that sense, it's, like, it's not, like, a, a negative net gain. Um, but, yeah, I do see what you're saying is that there's still potential with this guy. And I agree with that. He's not a 6.1 person, but you can't say one or the other, um, Either you know it's it's he definitely still has some potential, um, and yeah, if they, if they move Kaka um in Carolina to a wing, maybe he has a chance to to grow there. It's like that's the other interesting thing about this is that Carolina doesn't even really need Katka Niami. They're, yep. they're they're pretty loaded on the center stuff. So, um, but like yeah, just the the mere fact that they were able to uh, get that much for him. Uh, just proves that they, yeah, maybe they did develop him rightly, um, but yeah, it's probably it's just not going to be on Montreal, when, um if he ever does blossom into what we expect him to be.
0: It's just it's just going back to the fact that you like like just think just think about this like possibility like as soon as this year, but like in three four five years down the road, let's say Cockney and me. Produces like upwards of fifty to sixty right. points.
1: But but right? didn't you say that you sh- like they shouldn't have signed that offer sheet, or they shouldn't have matched?
0: Yeah, no, no. Like it was right not to match. But I'm just I'm just saying, is let's say Kakinami gets upwards of like fifty plus points as soon as the next two years, and it just keeps going up and up from there. Right. right? And let's say. You, you look at Christian uh, what Christian Dvorak does and yep. it doesn't really reflect Montreal's expectations and you look at what they gave up to get him. If they had established a good working relationship with Jesperi Kakaniemi, a guy who felt that he played might have played his last game as a Montreal Canadian, if they had established a good enough rapport with him and handled everything better then, in yeah. the days and months leading up to that, do we even see the offer sheet being signed and oh, do we see all of this?
1: Definitely when not. But every, I I everything don't everything
0: leads up to this is what I'm saying. Yes, Montreal yes, that, could have controlled that.
1: That they, that I agree with, but like I don't I don't think you can take that out on Montreal cuz they ended up getting more for Caucanemey that than they would have if they actually traded him.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, I can
1: Okay, (laughs) at least we can agree on that. This is like the one time we disagree. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, uh, in terms of other additions that Montreal had, uh, we do have to get going. Uh, Mike Hoffman uh, was signed. Uh, It was, uh, oh, I just had it here. Um, Mike Hoffman was a three-year deal uh, worth $4.5 million uh, annual average value. Um, and then there's also uh, David Savard, which was uh, four years, $3.5 million annual average rally, which I, I like a lot. Um, and Hoffman was, you know, like he wasn't as good as he was on the Senators, um, but he had a pretty a low-key, a low pretty good season for St. Louis uh, this past year. So that, that could work out for them. Um, this year for them, I I like that uh, that signing. Unfortunately for me, but that that's <laughs> totally okay. Um, as for subtractions, uh, Kale Fleury was the uh, pick for Seattle. Uh, Kotka Niemi uh, was we just talked about. He's a subtraction. Philip Deneau, we already talked about. What's funny is is that I, I guess I'm about to negate what I just talked about uh, about DeNoe. Um, but I wonder if Montreal saw, like you know, like foresaw the future, would they have signed Dino, um, instead of going out of their way to get Christian Dvorak instead? I I think I might have a, maybe would want to, to know instead of Dvorak, um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's just funny that they lost. Like to know and Kaniemi, and now they're back to square one. Where um, I I guess not square one, maybe square two, because they have Nick Suzuki now. But um, but it is funny that centers have been their their big key X factor that they they always want. Um, And now they, I mean Dvorak, we'll see. But um, but yeah, and Nick Suzuki is a promising young fella. But um, (laughs) but it is funny that they lost those two centers um, on their team. Uh, Thomas Tatar is also gone, and Corey Perry is going to Tampa. Uh, Funnily enough, I mean, I guess we'll talk about that when we talk about Tampa, but um, it is funny how Corey Perry was on that Dallas team that eventually lost to Dallas uh, uh, to Tampa, and then he uh, loses again to Tampa the next year Mm -hmm. um, in Montreal for the Stanley Cup Finals. And then he joins them, so it's funny, Uh, but uh, but yeah, Perry was one of those players that he really started to perform well in the playoffs, but uh, never really got going in the regular season. So um, you know, but maybe he's he'll be a interesting playoff performer for Tampa. yeah and
0: and part part of the reason why montreal went as far as they did is because guys like Corey perry played such prominent roles on that team i'd
1: argue that to know is also was also a big part of their run too
0: yeah and like i know thomas tatar wasn't but still like for a time he provides some solid secondary scoring punch for montreal so there there are a lot of There are a lot of big-name talents that Montreal, you look at and say, oh, they're not the best players on their team. But you know what? For the rules that they played, they did very well. Yep. And those are some of the character roles that I think they're going to miss more than people realize. And it's all going to accumulate into a possible regression if things don't pan out.
1: Yeah. Actually, you know what's funny is I could see both Carolina and Montreal miss the playoffs. And uh, Arizona may have ended up being the winner of this Weird uh, um, storyline because they like even if it's not a top ten pick, they're they're gonna get like uh, a a pick in the teens, so that's that's not bad for Arizona. Um, Yeah, Yeah. Um, and they also have like five picks in the second round, um, which is nuts. So, Um, all right. Uh, In terms of prospects, I guess we were discussing off off-screen of, like, if this guy is actually a prospect or not. Um, so the guy is Cole Caulfield. Um, the, I, I kind of drew the line on the fact that I feel like Zgris, he played 17 games. Uh, Zgris played 17 games in the regular season. Um, but, and, and you know, for Cole Caulfield only played 10 ga- regular season games. However, it was kind of like, there's a little bit of a gray area because Caulfield also played 20, 20 games in the playoffs. Um, and I don't know. I guess at this point, if you go by the Zegras rule, it's like they're not real. Like Ca- Caulfield's not really a prospect at this point either. But I don't know. At the same time, it wasn't like there's a ton of prospects in Montreal's system that I really we really wanted to talk about. So I guess there's uh, uh, Caden Primu, but. Um, I feel like Cole Caulfield is a more exciting player. He's, pro- he's the favorite for the Calder this year. Um, so uh, in Wisconsin, uh, he had 30 goals in 31 games, uh, 22 assists that puts him at 52 points um, in 31 games. I believe he won the- he definitely won the Hobie Baker. Um, he had 52 points in college, Yeah, he did. Um, and that was, uh, oh, I, I thought he had an even bigger discrepancy um, between the second player, which was Odin Tufto, uh, but it wasn't by much. It was 52 points uh, for college. Yeah, Caulfield. I think
0: Shane Pinto of the Sens was like in the mix for the Hobie Baker this past year or yeah, two.
1: Um, that, that's possible, too, but uh, I don't see him in the points list. Oh, oh, he was—he's here. Uh, Thirty-two points in twenty-eight games for Pinto, mm-hmm. but Tufto he was, was there, but still yeah. well
0: behind Caulfield. Yeah. Right,
1: well behind Caulfield. Uh, Tufto was actually the second guy on uh, in terms of the scoring race, but he had uh, he had forty-seven points, so that's uh, five five less points than Caulfield did. But uh, Tufto did play in twenty-nine games, so maybe. That could be, That's a, like a precursor for maybe a wild card pick for Tampa. Um, anyways, uh, still very, very, very good for Caulfield. Fifty-two points in thirty-one games, um, and then uh, and then he plays a little bit for Montreal towards the end of the year. Um, uh, in ten games, he had five points, four four goals uh, in ten points in ten games. Um, then he he goes to the playoffs. Um, what was interesting is he doesn't play the first two games, or sorry, first three uh, three games, um, and we're thinking, like, okay, just, they had to put in Caulfield in uh, just to see if he can, like, spark the lineup in. Little did we know, he did. Um, he was very, very, very impressive. He was, like, if Caulfield didn't play for them in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto sweeps uh, Montreal because he was a big reason why... They were able to make a big run. Um, he ended up having 12 points in 20 games. Um, surprisingly, I thought he scored a lot more than he did in the playoffs, but he only had four goals. Um, he had eight assists um, and uh yeah, 12 points. Um, and, and yeah, so, so we all know that he's going to be pretty good. Um, it's just, uh, w- what can we make of him in a full season? Um, it's going to be the big question. Um, and yeah, I guess I should also mention that he had five points in the World Juniors in seven games, um, and then in L- the Laval Rockets, he had four points in two games. Um, so, so yeah, th- I guess the one knock on him, and it's it's everyone's always going to talk about it, but uh, he's five foot seven. Um, uh, so, um, if you're five nine or five ten, that's fine. Like Jack Hughes, who was the first overall pick that year. He's five uh, ten, um, so apparently that's like if if Caulfield was like two inches taller, um, or sorry, three inches taller, then he probably would have been a first overall pick or at least in the top ten. But since he's five seven, I guess that that means he's a fifteenth overall pick, uh, which is funny too because he had seventy goals uh, that year uh, that he was about to be drafted, seventy two goals in sixty four games that year. Uh, so so like he's gonna be that's why he's nicknamed Goal Caulfield for a reason. Um and yeah, he's unfortunately I I hate rooting against this guy and I um but I I have a feeling he's gonna be one of those players that's like just just play for another team, Caulfield. Like just just go to another team. (laughs) I I I wanna root for you. Um and I'm hoping that I guess I'll look forward to him in the twenty twenty um, let's see here, the 2026 Olympics when he'll he'll be on the U.S. team, so that's when I'll root for him.
0: So what you're saying is you're hoping the hurricane the Hurricanes uh, have another offer sheet in them and they just take yeah. Caulfield away from the house. Basically,
1: yeah, yeah. Just, like, <laughs> to just... Or just any team. Yeah,
0: yeah, like,
1: pretty much Colorado? any team. I, I, like, yeah. Colorado,
0: yeah. Why not? I, I would do like, it. Yeah, Colorado? it
1: doesn't have to be Carolina. I I think uh, Carolina has already taken their revenge but yeah and and the funny thing about I mean I think if if he is as good as we all think he's going to be I think Montreal would have no issue with uh, matching their offer sheet for him so I, I don't think that's gonna actually happen but um, but yes I I do I will you know maybe like when he's 27 years old so that's and when he's a UFA um, so that's like you know that's in uh, 2028. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna for him, um officially. Yeah.
0: Whatever whatever team is closest to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, yep. his hometown, just just like this is your time. Like yep. get this guy. Only like, even if you have to go to Quebec and like smuggle them out of Quebec, just yep. just get this guy. Basically. Um yeah. Just just make Brett happy, get him off the Canadians. Yeah. Um this this guy is made for Montreal Canadiens hockey. Because not only is he a guy that can score goals at key times, despite his small size, he thrives under pressure. What more pressurized environment can you play in? Like scoring yep. goals for the Montreal Canadiens, and like every single person is watching your every single move that you make on the ice. Like define pressure, playing in Montreal, that's, that's pressure. That's like playing football for the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. Like they eat, sleep, and breathe hockey. Even your freaking kids' weekend game. Like that's, that's that that's pretty big in Quebec. Like they are just so invested in hockey and so passionate about their team, and they hate losing and they love winning. And the fact that Cool Caulfield just walks around with a smile on his face isn't faced by that at all, and just goes out and plays hockey. Like, what more, what more do you want from the guy? The guy is basically the perfect player for the Montreal Canadiens. And defensively, there are some issues to work around. But I'm sure, you know, with time and a lot of repetitive practice, they can break those bad habits. But, like, this is a guy that can explode up the ice in transition. His explosive shot is accurate shooting abilities as well. And a guy that can impact and make his line mates better, mostly because, oh, crap, we have to worry about Cole Caulfield. We can't let him get the puck. And then you realize the other two linemates that he adds are pretty good, and that opens space for them. So eventually you're going to be like, oh, well, his teammates are also pretty good, so we need to get guys on this guy. And then people forget oh yeah they have caulfield on that line oh why did we do this right (laughs) like we're doomed now so i think i think just the the fact that you can have an intimidating goal scoring presence like cole caulfield it can it can revolve around the rest of the team not just the rest of the line because everyone's so focused on shutting down just one segment of the habs offense and I think going forward, that definitely helps the Montreal Canadiens, a very young team with a lot of young talent, uh, like Ryan Paling um, in the system. But I think in terms of young talent today, you're looking at two guys that can really spearhead the offense moving forward. And that's Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. I've said it many times before expect that duo to light up the league and put the league on notice in a couple of years, maybe even as soon as this coming season, we could see it more and more. So yeah, I'm excited for Cole Caulfield and I'm sure all of Montreal can't wait to see what he does next.
1: Uh, so I would argue that Toronto is actually the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL, but I, I, I agree that there is a lot of pressure to perform in Montreal as well. Uh,
0: yeah, I I, I guess because like from like the, the, like, fan, the fan standpoint, standpoint birthday yeah. party they'll probably throw media at his house, yeah, yeah. And Cover it, but
1: just just yeah. from like the fan standpoint, but yeah, I guess like it. But at the same time, I guess there's there's a there's a lot of Montreal fans and there's a lot of Toronto fans. I don't know. There are a lot of hockey
0: fans. I, I
1: feel it's like hotbed. like just I feel like the media attention. I mean, I get the sense because I'm outside of Canada, but I get the sense that. The media pays attention to Toronto. So, Toronto is first in in Canada. Then, uh, yeah, Toronto's first. Then, Montreal's second. And then the rest of Canada um, is like tied for third uh, in terms of attention. So, (laughs) yeah, uh,
0: I I think when you get the kind of like localized attention for a kid's hockey game or whatever, similar to how like. The Friday Night Lights atmosphere for like high school games uh, is so big in Texas. Yeah, like that's why I say Montreal is the oh of the oh
1: world. no, I, I get that, but I I don't know, I I, I wouldn't discount Toronto. I guess this is like yeah, in, we're, in we're going of media, off Toronto, but...
0: In terms of media, Toronto's up there. You're not yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Toronto's definitely up there. All right, and maybe New York too. But yeah,
1: well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. I don't know about in hockey, but, yeah. I, I, anyways, we're getting off topic here.
0: Yeah, that's a story for another day. We can wild, measure, yeah. we can measure media we're,
1: bias. We're two hours, 30 minutes in, and, and now we're, we're <laughs> going off topic, of course. Yeah. Um, we
0: don't even cheer for either of those. Teams,
1: and, and yeah, and in fact, I don't even like either team. Um yeah, like,
0: why are we even talking about Yeah, this
1: exactly, team? exactly. Um, all right, so the wild card prospect um, is – um, another northeastern player um, but uh, but yeah he last year he's a defenseman Jordan Harris um, he's 511. I think there was a report that he was thinking of he hasn't signed uh, with Montreal usually like for college players if they're like even halfway decent. Uh, usually, or I guess if unless you're like Jimmy, uh, sorry, Jimmy VC or Kevin Hayes or something, um, you usually do sign with your team after your junior year. But, uh, but yeah, Jordan Harris, he signed, um, he hasn't signed yet with Montreal, and he's going to be in Northeastern again this year, but uh, he's a defenseman um and i think that it should
0: be noted he's from massachusetts so from for brett and hoping you steal town from montreal i mean your I,
1: i'm not saying it but thanks for saying it um <laughs> <laughs> I just but, said it. yeah you just said it uh but yeah he had uh 19 points in 19 games for northeastern this year uh six goals and 13 assists um again i'm not keeping my hopes up but the, you know there, i guess there, there is a potential of uh, him not signing with montreal and he's just a free agent and yeah you're, you're right he is from massachusetts um maybe it he, should
0: be noted he's entering his fourth year of northeastern university yeah. and he's slated to be the captain last yep. year he was an assistant captain so yep. after this Thought i
1: mentioned that but this yeah. will
0: be his final year of college hockey so in terms of the earliest chance he could turn pro after playing college hockey is this year, basically. Right. So by the end of this year, we'll have a good idea of what his plan is. Right.
1: Right. And I believe that because the deadline to not sign would be like sometime in August of next year. Um. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, if he if he doesn't sign after the college season, then it's like you know he probably will sign. I'm just getting my hopes up. Um. But. Uh, but, yeah, so, so yeah, we, we could see him by the end of the year um, if he does sign. Uh, but, Isn't yeah. He
0: also, wasn't he also teammates a couple of years ago with Caden Primo at Northeastern? Because I'm yes. pretty sure Caden Primo is in Northeastern. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's hope with the Canadians that, like, oh, his connection with Caden Primo is uh, Yeah, yeah, there, there's
1: uh, Caden Primo. Well. With, there's also Jaden Strubel who also plays for, he's a Montreal mm-hmm. draft pick, but he also plays for Northeastern as well. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, Northeastern and Montreal seem to have some type of connection together, which is funny because you would think the Bruins would have a better connection to a a school that's in Massachusetts, but, um, but yeah, so, so Jordan Harris, he, um, I I don't know. I, I think he could, he could be a pretty good player for them in the long term, especially considering the fact that. Like Shea Weber, it looks like he's now hes never going to play another game again for Montreal. Jeff Petrie is still in the mix and all that, but I don't know. I—I I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, this this guy Jordan Harris make some moves eventually um, in the league. Um, so, but but we probably won't see him this year uh, for all the reasons that I was just mentioning because he's um he may not even sign with montreal but um it looks like he probably will um but yeah it's, it's just someone to keep an eye out because uh, a point per game player even as a defenseman um it's pretty good and and yeah he's a junior but um but yeah it, it's still it's still someone to look out for in the long run
0: for sure um And again, the fact that he's a point-per-game player as a defenseman just adds uh, value to him. And uh, to put into perspective, his first two years, 13 points in 39 games for the uh, Huskies, 21 points in 33 games his second year. Um, And obviously, the limited ice time uh, due to COVID kind of adds uh, a little bit of value to his game there. Um, and, And someone that I think... In, in terms of defense, I, I think his contributions are, are going to be even more crucial to look at because in terms of offense, that's a position that Montreal is going to be set up for years to come. They have a lot of interesting offensive options to work with. But it's the blue line beyond Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie that the Habs really need to be concerned about. And, of course, they have a lot of interesting names um, in their repertoire. Um jane Struble, who you mentioned uh, alex romanov being the big name there now you have uh, jordan harris in that mix kane Gooley is also in the mix there there are a lot of young defensemen that i think could be nhl regulars for the canadians moving forward but what's their ceiling going to be are they going to be top four guys are they going to be decent third pairing options no one really knows until they get there so they already have a lot of intriguing options on the blue line um, that they can slot in there. So I'm interested to see what Jordan Harris, uh, where he slots in, assuming he turns pro and turns pro with Montreal yep. down the road.
1: Yeah, I think that was another reason why I brought him up. It's like, yeah, because uh, Shea Weber's not going to be around um, anymore, it seems like. Or you know, or it doesn't even look if, like it, yeah. yeah. And, doesn't and even if he does return, it's interest. not like, we we expect him to to be old Shea Weber that we expect so, um and and as good as Jeff Petrie has been, he's still like you know he's on he's like a rap he's like a one of those thirty year olds. Um yeah Montreal does have Romanoff in the system they just got David Savard, uh but but yeah they could use another offensive defenseman like Jordan Harrison. Um yeah if he's you know a point per game player um as a defenseman in the NCAA is, um, you know, pretty good. And obviously he's probably not going to be an 82-point player in the NHL. But, uh, but yeah, you, you could definitely expect um, some big things if, if he's, like, that, that kind of offensive defenseman. So, yeah, well, definitely someone to keep an eye out for sure. Um, maybe Yeah, maybe, like, a 50-point player if, if all things go right. Um, while you were talking, I, I was looking at Nathan McKinnon because we were just mentioning if he went to Shattuck St. Mary. Um, he did go to Shaddock St. Mary, so you were right, but uh, he didn't go to the same kind of program that Sidney Crosby did. Um, like like I, I guess Sidney Crosby did like the un- 18-unders, uh, whereas uh, Nathan McKinnon had a 16-unders and he was also in the 14-unders. For Shattuck Saint Mary, mm-hmm. but then he went to Halifax, uh, for, right? Uh, but uh, for two years, um, instead of going to Shattuck Saint Mary and then going to Halifax the next year, so um, so it was a slightly different Sidney Crosby, a, a slightly different route that Sidney Crosby did, but it was definitely still Shattuck Saint Mary. Yeah,
0: and and the thing is with with Nathan McKinnon and. and um, uh, very odd tie to this but like the thing with nathan mckinnon is i think jared jared bednar the current coach of the colorado avalanche was able to get the most out of him and i know that other coaches have been able to get um the most out of nathan mckinnon like dominic ducharme with the Mooseheads, uh and patrick Watt times with the colorado avalanche but i think consistently taking nathan mckinnon's game to the next level and the rest of the team's game to the next level I think Jared Bender has done a very good job of that. I'm looking at the Canadians coaching staff and they extended Dominic Ducharme. They extended Luke Richardson. Pretty sure they worked out a similar pack with Alex Burroughs to keep that uh, current group of coaching staff together. I don't know in two to three years, if that coaching staff is going to be looked at with as much optimism, because obviously Everyone's looking at the Montreal Canadiens and what they recently did, and they're just like, oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm sure these guys could do it again. But not often they do. So I'm interested to see how their coaching staff uh, changes uh, over the course of the next two to three years, what kind of impact they have on the team. Because ultimately, similar to uh, the other offseason moves that have been made this year and previous years, Mark Berchman is at the forefront of it. So if if this team doesn't really pick it up in terms of the overall performance, in terms of overall standings, in terms of offense and defense, regardless of how they may, how the injuries affect those team uh, affect the team as a whole, Montreal in theory should have a good enough team to still make the playoffs. If they don't and they continue to sputter, it might be the coaching staff that gets the scapegoat, but Mark Bergevin's been here for a lot of different coaching regimes, and a lot of the same problems still lie. So in the next two to three years, we could see the end of the Mark Bergevin uh, era as GM of the Montreal Canadiens. But then again, there have been times where we look at deals and say, wow, these age better than a lot of us thought. Yep. So the Cockney, I mean, the Dvorak situation – those could look like genius moves for Bergevin and the Habs never miss a beat and they just keep on trucking and they keep on getting better. But if they're still an average team in a couple of years, Bergman is probably on his way out. Yep. So it's it's winning time for the Canadians, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of Mark Bergevin.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting too because they, they, they got to the Stanley Cup Finals, but I feel like they like, they were, the reason why they got there was, like, yeah, they're, they're a good team, I wouldn't be surprised that they made the playoffs this year, but at the same time, like, you know, they they the Canadian division was so weird last year, um, Vancouver was a mess, Ottawa was a mess, although I guess they were better, but um, Calgary was a mess, and then, um, so then you, you like, they didn't really have that much competition, and then they kind of lucked out when uh, Tavares uh, got injured, and then they uh, lucked out again when Sh- Shifley was being an idiot um, in the playoffs, and then um, Vegas faltered, and and uh, all of a sudden, and then there were a mismatch when they actually played a real team in Tampa. So, um, so yeah, there's there's definitely. I like you know I don't want to discredit them because you know going that far is impressive as is but I'd be shocked if they make the Stanley Cup finals again this year.
0: Okay. We'll we'll see again. A lot of it depends on how the division shakes up and of how course. the wild card shakes up. Um, and I think it's important for Montreal to get a top three spot in that division because I don't think they're going to have a they they might have a chance at the wild card but I don't think they're going to have a strong chance. Um, but again, given how strong the division is, uh, not looking good, it, it looks even less likely that they'll get a top three spot, let alone yeah,
1: a wild card. For sure. All right. Um, so that about does it for us here at uh, Lace em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can listen to us and subscribe to us at SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett
0: Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 285 of the Lace em Up podcast.